have I got a story for you. Cross Country Connected and on the rise on the side of the country where the sun sets over the water. This basketball lifer believes in putting the hours in and servant leadership. His passion for hoops has taken him to all levels of excellence. Schools and squads, you're going to want to take notice. This guy needs to be on your bench and a part of your team. But first, today's sponsor, fans. No, sadly not the type of fan that we will not be able to be for the foreseeable future, sitting next to one another, filling stadiums with our cheers. This is the better kind of fan, the more important fan, the MVP, most valuable part of air conditioning. That fan. Those breeze-providing types that oscillate the air towards you. Those types of fan. There's a reason the Neanderthals invented the fan right after the wheel and shortly before discovering fire. Because you can't solve too hot. You need help. Just fucking cuddle your way away from the cold. Those bitches were stuck in some stank, musty, dank caves, and they craved comfort and ventilation that only the sweet outdoors could bring. However, they were not about to make themselves vulnerable and needed a solution. Just like you. It's the fan. Sure, theirs was more primitive, but the basic foolproof concept hasn't changed in decades. From ceiling fans, box fans, window units, to central air. Those cool coils in your AC unit would just be chilling. Because by themselves, they're ultimately useless and inept at keeping you cool. But with a fan. We all know the credit goes to those Freon-filled lines, but the cool breeze is brought to you because of... Say it with me. That fucking fan. Take some time as the weather gets warmer to appreciate something so simple that we take for granted every time we want to increase our comfort by lowering the internal temperature of our dwellings. Fans will continue giving man the godlike power to control wind at his, or her, whim. Just flip the switch, relax and wait for the comfort to come. Fans are going to make sure you feel the breeze. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. We've got 30 pods worth of episodes recorded, although this is our 26th being posted. Thank you to all the guests who's given their time and allowed over 500 listeners across the globe. Shout out Denmark, Ireland, I see you, to get to know them. But now to you, the listener, please take the time to review and subscribe to the pod on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, or your preferred podcast platform. Leave a review. Friend and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, so that you can see who you're listening to and learning about. We here at The Pod appreciate the support. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. On today's show, we are getting to know Matt. Or I believe do you do you have your players call you Coach Matt or Coach Elkin? That's actually something I didn't ask you. Um, it, it depends on where I'm at, actually. The the current school that I'm at now, they call me Coach Matt. Um it's just a the school they call their teachers by their first names, but uh, most people call me Coach Elkin or 
Coach Elk or Coach E or Elk or whatever. I, I go by many names. Gotcha. Gotcha. A master, a master of names and a master of skills. Yeah. I was, I was wondering like the coach, why does the school do the first name thing? Um, I'm not sure on this. It's a, it's a small private school. So I think it's, uh, you know, some kids feel more comfortable doing it. They want to try to, uh, make the, you know, the learning environment, I guess, more conducive for, for kids and families. So they do that. Um, honestly, when I first got there, it made me a little uncomfortable, made me feel a little weird because mm-hmm. people were calling me by my first name. Um, and you know, when I, when I grew up in, in the, the public school that I went to in Boston and in college and really it just in general, along my journey in coaching, um, I very rarely call people by their first name until, I become, you know, really close to them. I actually only, my head coach that I work with right now, I still call him Coach Foff. I really don't (laughs) even call him him, even though he's, uh, you know, kind of somebody that I work with very closely every single day. So um, it's just a a respect thing that I I think kind of maybe started in my my home and and that I kind of grew up with. And so it's been ingrained into me, but uh, I don't mind. It's, it's, it's not the end of the world. Is I'd, I'd rather them call me whatever they want as long as they're listening to what I have to say. <laughs> that's a that's a great point. Hey, at least if they're calling my name, maybe they have a question and I can actually instruct exactly. them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I was raised the same way, dude. Like it was it was very weird for me um, when I would have like friends' parents be like, "Oh no, just call me Samantha," and I'm like, "No, you're Mrs. Howard." Like I just can't get myself to that point, or even um almost like coworkers. Like I almost felt like if I was, uh, maybe when I got to like, whatever the same level is, I saw you on, then I would call you by your first name. But age was a big thing for me. Like if you were older than me, I was almost always calling you Mr. Or Mrs. or a uh, sir or something like that. Yeah. There's, there's actually, um, a, a college coach who's, who's become a friend of mine. Um, and you know, originally I would call him coach and then his last name. And, and after a while, we would text or call and he would say, Matt, don't ever call me coach, call me Chris. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I would slip up sometimes. I'd, you know, I'd default to cook. And I I was, I mean, Chris, I mean, Chris, I'm sorry. sorry." (laughs) You know, so I I tried to, if somebody, if somebody says, call me this, I will call them whatever they want me to call them um, out of respect to them. But I I think by default, I go to Mr. or coach in my last name. Did you um, change his name and your contacts immediately, or did you leave it as coach? <laughs> no, I, I said I said a reminder anytime I text this person, I must call him by his first name. <laughs> did, you, did you really? Shit's just popping not, up on no, your no, iPhone. Not, not really. I just <laughs> I try to I just try to remember. Do you um do you remember or do you watch The Office at all? If you're from Boston, I almost assume you have to. I do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I do. So, do you remember when Dwight and Michael were battling, and Dwight gets a hold of Michael's Rolodex? And uh, he's going after like this big whale, and Michael has this like reminders on the back of his cards. And yes, yeah, yes, and like Michael marks orange as in like his homosexual son, and it's like orange. You glad you didn't say it, so go ahead and say it. Something in like green was like go ahead and stop yourself from saying it. It was this stupid yes. thing. So like I feel like iPhone should have that Michael Scott app where like your contacts, little shit can pop up when you text or call them, just to help you know like oh that's right don't get into that awkward conversation. Well, actually I do use, um, I use my iPhone and when I put my con, so here's, here's a, a little thing that I use, um, just to like stay organized is for any basketball people, it could be coaches, it could be media, 
um, could be anybody in an athletic department, people that are, that kind of are involved in basketball. I, I put a little, um, I write ball as in basketball before their name. So it helps me sort uh, them okay. uh, in my contacts. So if I want to go through and text a bunch of coaches, I'll, I'll scroll to the B section and then it will be organized like that. I know some people write coach for all of that stuff or whatever it is. Um, I do the same thing with recruits. I'll, for any recruit that I have, I'll put an R in front of their name. So again, if I want to quickly, easily navigate, because uh, I have a lot of contacts just that I've developed. So, you know, my personal contacts and also my work contacts. So I just have one phone. So it helps me organize. And then within each contact, I do some other things that helps me stay organized too, like you kind of alluded to some notes. So I might put, you know, if it's the kid, what year are they or what high school do they go to? Or, you know, if it's a coach, what school are they at? Maybe what former school are they at? Um, I'll even put some stuff in there. Like if I've met their wife or their kids and maybe put their name in there as a reminder to me, you know, when I do connect with them just to ask, Hey, how is, you know, how's your wife Tiffany doing? Or, you know, how is Jack and Katie doing or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Smart. So I've, I've used that as a nice little uh, reminder for me um, just to, you know, add that into the note section of the contact. And I see a lot of other people do that too. Yeah, dude, that's a great call. <laughs> did you, um, so initially did you put me an S for like stranger danger or like P for yeah. like fishing scheme? <laughs> it was, it was a W for who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. The fucking random D. Well, it came up sometimes the, the iPhone when, when someone texts you from an unusual number, but they say their name, it says like, maybe. So it was like, maybe Sean. I was like, well, is it or is it not? It's yeah. Done. I mean, yeah, because dude, I'm on. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Say, you say your name is Sean, but uh, but is it really? We'll yeah. we'll find out. Yeah. Well, if Siri ain't validating it, right? It can't be. Um. Exactly. Yeah. I'm on that Samsung. I think it's a Samsung Five Active that I've had for maybe five six years without a case. Um, and I'm getting to the point now with apps where like the memory is right there at like it's got like a 32 gig memory limit, <laughs> and like I'm at like. 30.3. So I'm having to decide, like, do I delete Uber if Lyft's better in this area kind of a thing? I, uh, I don't know. I, I hate the whole upgrade thing, man. I feel like I, I used to like when you could get a phone when you like signed up for a two-year contract and they give it to you for free. I hate like having to pay five, six, a thousand dollars for a phone. It, uh, it infuriates me. Yeah. I, I learned the tough way. I, I remember that too. When I was younger, you used to like wait to get that upgrade. And then when that upgrade came, you're like, yes. And you can get a new phone and you go in the store and you get to pick out a new one now. It's like, I get my upgrade. Great. Okay. But you still just have to go buy a new phone. So what's, what's the point? Yeah. Why? Just, yeah. Don't trick me into this upgrade <laughs> thing. Upgrade eligible, not upgrade for anything. Yeah. Um, where are you uh, coaching at now? So right now I am in Los Angeles. Um, I work at a private school called the Windward School. It's in West Los Angeles. Um, it's a seven through 12 private school. So we do have some middle school. Um, it's, a great little um, school. It's an awesome community. Co-ed has about 600 kids or so. Oh, wow. um, so the class sizes are small. Um, it's a really kind of connected community. Um, offer a lot of things at the school from athletics to um, the arts, uh, extracurriculars, uh, and the classes are extremely challenging. We have you know great matriculation kids going off to schools all over across the country. Um, and it's been great. I just finished up my second season, uh, coaching at that high school. Um, I coach, I'm the head coach for our eighth grade. 
uh, basketball team, and I'm also the assistant coach or one of the assistant coaches for our varsity basketball team. So I do kind of double duty, get some experience as a head coach with my eighth graders, and then right. uh, get some experience kind of supporting with our varsity uh, basketball team. Yeah, the head coaching, or I guess maybe like the game management aspect of head coaching, I would think is such a huge deal for an assistant coach to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, um, regardless of it, grade, like some people, oh, eighth grade, whatever. Like, dude, I bet you that's a lot of pressure, kids in a private school. Like, that sounds kind of not elitist in like that negative way, but like elitist as in we're here to handle business and get better. Definitely. Yeah. No, it, it's, um, the experience is awesome and, it, and it's nice because actually we have another assistant on our varsity team who is the head coach for our seventh grade team. So our two middle school teams, um, both have head coaches that are varsity assistants. So, you know, our goal and my goal, especially with eighth graders, is to try to get them ready for next year when they become high schoolers. If they do want to, you know, try to be on varsity or even on JV, you know, what are some of the, um, you know, what are some of the things that they're going to need to have in their toolbox to prepare them to play at the next level? So it's kind of my job to get them ready to to play for me again down the line in high school. Right. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, it's it's been an awesome experience for me. You know, there's no there's no way to replicate, there's no way to, you know, watch a, a professional development session or a conference or, you know, anything, any sort of video online that can show you, you know, what do you do when you're down three and there's eight seconds left on the clock. The only way to do it is to prepare for that moment and, and actually yeah. execute it and see what happens in that moment. Um, well, it's like fighter pilot. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, and that is something that sucks about taking off the video is like you can't read the uh, body cues. So I apologize. No, it's but, but but I've read like it's fighter pilot type shit as far as decision making within a time frame for coaching. I think it was back when um David Blatt was catching so much shit with LeBron. And I, I forget what the study was, but it was like, dude, you're literally making thousands and you're considering thousands of variables in split seconds about who can do what time, situation, score, fouls you know, timeouts. It's just, you can't rep it by watching like whatever the Jordan documentary and thinking like, Oh, okay. If I was Phil, what would I do? Yep. And then that's honestly, that's where, so, you know, my years of coaching experience being an assistant or a manager or a grad assistant or whatever it is, you know, I've always really tried to as best as I can, as long as there's not other responsibilities going on for me, you know, I try to poke my head into the huddle in those types of moments. So I can try to see what coach is drawing up, you know, and, and for me, I think the, the, the challenge, the added challenge that comes into play for eighth grade, um, maybe more so than it does for the varsity guys or whatever is, you know, all of these parents and all of these kids, they expect to have an opportunity to get out there on the floor. Right. So I'm not only am I managing, time and score but i'm managing you know the the 13 kids on my team yeah the emotions just yeah just because billy you know isn't the best basketball player in eighth grade he still wants to play and still wants to have fun so i have to manage you know where where can we have fun where can we try to win games you know how much how much on the scale is one versus the other right um so you know you're dealing with all that stuff and then the other challenging part is just in general, in terms of the gameplay in the eighth grade for us, we play um, four 10 minute running quarters. Um, oh, wow. So there's no before. stop time. Like if the ball goes out of bounds, the clock doesn't stop. So the subs, the substitutions are a lot harder too because there's less dead balls. Um, you're factoring in even something like 
with the kids taking a free throw, do you want to call a timeout so that the clock stops and it doesn't run for an extra minute? So there's all these other added um, factors that come oh into play, which I think can only help me overall in my coaching. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's that's a lot more. Wow. How many timeouts do you get a game? Um, I think we get four. So you try oh to God. try to space them out. Just four. Two fulls, two halves, yeah. or all fulls? Um, I think they're all fulls. I okay. I mean, I've never really had anybody come to me, except for this one referee who did the thing where he puts the ball down and starts counting. Oh, I love those guys. I love them. What was their childhood like where they take uh, that authoritative position and they're like, I blew my whistle, bitch. Get here. And you know what? Yeah. I, I don't care that you're an eighth grader and you're overwhelmed by the situation at the age of 13 or 14. You're screwing up. <laughs> I'm going to make you feel bad. <laughs> it's, un- it's unbelievable. As soon as I see them, dude, I've had, uh, I've been very close to a couple technicals. You know, I'm trying to set a good example for these kids, Sean, but it's uh, when, they're, <laughs> when they're pushing my buttons like that, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. Why, why does that offend? Like, I, I take that personally too. And I've, I've wondered many nights late. Why, why does that offend? Like, why does this dude's trying to do his job as well? But like, why does it piss you off? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, some, sometimes you can just tell when the ref walks in, uh, into the gym that it's going to be a, a long game for you as the coach. Um, but you know, I think the other, the other nice thing is as you get more comfortable in your coaching, you've been around, especially on the scene in that area for a while, you start to familiarize yourself with the referees and, yeah. um, you know, the, hopefully that can add to your, you know, uh, your opportunities for, for them to maybe give you, not necessarily give you a call, but give you the, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, Whereas just be uh, relational. Coaches, yeah, exactly. You can, you know, make chit chat with them. You can conversate with them. If they don't know you, they're not going to talk to you. And also if you're, if your bench decorum tends to gravitate towards, uh, yelling at the referees, yeah. uh, or your players tend to do that. The, uh, the referees tend to be a little bit quicker with the the whistles um so i always try to treat them with respect not just because they have the whistle but also because they are people but they do also have a whistle <laughs> yeah well dude like i don't know who gets who's who has the more thankless job the ref or the coach you know like i mean i guess coaching if you call up a decent player if you win like a whatever a championship there might be some people pissed or you win a big game but like i don't know if refs ever get like the hey man great refing today yeah, very, very rarely. Um, you know, we we try to, or I've always tried to, as a, as a player and now as a coach, you know, just just simply go up to a ref after a game and say thanks, nice right. job, or whatever it is, even if they did a crappy job. But which but they again, never do. If any refs couple. listen, you never do a yeah, crappy no. job. We always appreciate every call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> exactly yeah even if it's even if it's fake you know but you gotta because again you might see that you might see that guy down the line in a championship game or you know in a big moment and again you don't want him to associate you as the the coach that was riding him or right um you know and i think they get enough of that throughout the game from coaches and from from parents oh, and God, from players parents. and everything so um you know, I think the least we can do as coaches is just show our appreciation. Cause like you said, Sean, they do have a job to do. Yeah. Um, and they're, I think for the most part they they are trying their best. So, um, it's, it's not going to go, you know, my way all the time, but you know, as coaches, we just look for it to be a fair game. And I think for the most part, referees do try their best to make sure that, you know, the safety is first and foremost of all the players. Yeah. And, and then beyond that, just try to make some good calls. Yeah. I, 
fair or at least if it's going to be unfair, hey, I know it's going to be unfair early on so I can kind of like adjust the team's mindset or I can kind of alter, hey, man, we're not going to be trapping tonight because this dude's calling all kinds of tic-tac fouls. Even though they're not fouls, whatever, that's how it's going. So let's, whatever, sink into a 2-3 zone or let's play pack line, man, kind of a thing versus, dude, we press all night. You can't call these fouls on us, you know? And I think I think it's just the consistency of like, what is the call learning that early on? Um to help like temper your uh, expectations of what is a foul and what's not a foul, you know? Well, I think, I think also too, Sean, like at my level coaching at high school and certainly at middle school, like the referees, they're not coming in necessarily with an awareness of who we are and what we do. Oh, Whereas, for sure. You know, the, yeah, they're know, not like scouting. In the, NBA and in, in the NBA and in college, those guys are, you know, they watch film, right? So they watch yeah. themselves, they watch you know, the other teams that they're going to be refereeing. So they know like, okay, this is a pressing team or, you know, this team does a really, really good job of staying in front of their man or, you know, this team, maybe they, they push off a little bit. That's why they grab so many offensive rebounds. So, right. you know, referees at the higher level will come in with some idea and almost like a game plan similar to a coach would. Yeah. Whereas at our level, these guys don't know how he plays. So yeah. they don't, they're going to call foul or they're going to call a carry because, that's what they think. But when yeah. in reality, if it's something we practice and something we do every day, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's tough to tell our guys, Hey, they're, they're calling it tight tonight. We got to, you know, do something different. Yeah, dude. They're just trying to get there on time because their day job might've let them out late. And this is like a secondary, they're like, they're one, they're one season away from being Uber drivers to try to make extra money, you know? And I think people got to understand that about refs too. It's like, man, you can't really have a game without refs. And it, it's hard for people to want to be yelled at and belittled all the time and have every decision they make questioned in public. Like that just does not seem, oh, by the way, hey man, here's $55. Thanks for your time. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Hey, there's the recruiting pitch. How many want to sign up? You know? So it's, it, it is, it's really hard to have, res- but then at the same time you get so competitive in the moment, you just hate everything that doesn't go your way. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and we're just talking about high school now, if you get into summer ball, you know, where ref referees are refing eight games in the day. Oh, and, and on a time they're, schedule, they're like, dude, that bitch better be over by one. Like we need the court. We got to keep it rolling. Well, and they're, and they're on game seven and you're on your first game of the, of the day and you expect, you know, this ref is fresh and they're, you know, struggling to get over half court yeah. and you're like, come on, dude, what's the deal? And, and <laughs> so that, I know that's even a lot more frustrating. Yeah. I, I don't think you could ever get mad at um, an AAU ref. Um, in the summer, especially, and I don't know, I've never um, AAU'd at a high level at all. Um, but I did AAU one summer for um, eighth grade middle school coach. And I was like, I was just amazed at um, like, you'd have one ref and he'd basically be going like, not even like three point line to three point line. It would almost be like the tip of the coaching box to the tip of the coaching box. And it was just like, whatever, man, let it, let it play. We're just trying to roll. Um, so I, I don't even think you can get mad at those guys. I feel like organized high school and tournament type stuff, um, there's a little higher expectation for quality refing. Um, and hopefully they get the more quality refs in those kinds of situations. Yep. Yeah. We, um, you know, we had a couple games this year, playoff games or big regular season games. And, um, you know, we knew, we knew right away from the, you know, the first couple minutes of the game or even before the game that we were going to have a good crew. And so, you know, when that happens, you, you take a sigh of relief because you know, at least I can, now I can just focus on coaching my guys yeah. and I don't have to worry about managing the bench or managing the referees. Like they're going to call a fair game and, and um, you know, certain referees build up that reputation in the same way certain coaches do as well. So it's always nice 
you know, the refs are never the reason why you win or lose a game, but they're definitely, uh, uh, you know, a reason why you're ahead or behind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. What, um, do you have like a particular personality trick? Like, are you a, let me put my arm around you guy. Are you like, excuse me, sir, may I have a minute? Are you like reverse psychology, dude? Like what, what's your, um, if you're trying to get a point across to the ref, what's your, uh, go-to technique? Um, well, I'll tell you, I've done a lot of trial and error with this, <laughs> um, uh, more, more, I think probably more error than trial. Uh, um, always. Well, but, I feel like uh, the polite guys get like stomped over where, where if you don't, I feel like the yellers or almost like the disrespecters wind up getting more respect from the refs. And it amazes me sometimes. And I guess that's why I'm asking. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it all, it depends on the situation. Like if it's the third or fourth time that you're, you know, ribbing a ref about the same call or something, it's probably not going to go your way. Yeah, um, that's a good point. But, you know, my thing is, again, like if it's a foul call and I'm, and I'm thinking that the refs are missing a foul, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them, Hey, you know, my guy's getting hit, you know, and then start talking about his safety and things like that. And, and oh. hopefully the refs, you know, the refs understand like that's the main focus is making sure everybody's being safe. So if yeah. you can talk about that, you know, some guys might like it. Some guys might take that offensively when they think, Oh, you don't think I care about you know your player safety, all that stuff. So you got to kind of figure it out again. You I'm me personally, and this kind of expands beyond just games in general, but I'm a pretty good, uh, person for reading body language and like kind of someone's attitude. So, you know, if I can tell right away that a ref is not interested in having a conversation with me, I'll try to make it a lot shorter and sweeter. If I do have something, that's a great Um, point is you can tell right off the bat. If there's certain guys that, you know, want to have conversations will come up. There'll be lots of refs that come up and make small talk with you as they're running by or, you know, during a free throw. So you can tell right away, all right, this might be a guy. The other thing, Sean, that I always try to do, and I do this as a head coach, and I also do this as an assistant to help our head coach on the varsity team, I always uh, make sure that I take a few minutes to introduce myself to the referees and get their names. So oh, yeah. instead of saying, hey, ref, you know, it's, it's hey, Bob, or, or hey, yeah. Mike. Um, or you hey, know, and then, or and hey Lisa. Personal. It could be Lisa. Yep, or Lisa, <laughs> or Francine, or whoever, you know, whoever the referee is. You know, I want to make sure that when it gets down and dirty in the course of a game and we're, you know, maybe upset about something, I'm still making that personal connection. And and a lot of times I'll be as an assistant on varsity, I'll be sitting next to coach and he'll ask me, hey, what was this guy's name again? Or, you know, he's got a million things on his mind. So I, you know, I take that as almost one of my kind of roles is to make sure I know all the refs names. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really helpful. Dude, that's um, such a, what, what's your trick? Do you write the names down or do you do again, the Michael Scott, like you find a mole on their forehead and like connect that to his name being Larry. I keep, uh, I keep a, uh, I keep a notebook with me on the bench that I do stats and timeouts and, and other random uh, notes throughout the game. And so gotcha. I always write down, I write down the ref's name. And then if, if there's some sort of characteristic that can help me remind, especially if there's like two Jeffs yeah. or something, you know, like I want to know <laughs> which Jeff, Jeff is it bald guy or tall guy, you know, or, you know, whatever, something like that. So, um, so yeah, that, that's definitely come in handy for me on the varsity level. Um, and just in the middle school level too, again, just, you know, trying to make that personal connection with the guys. Gotcha. So was this your first year where you got 
Um, and I, I guess I'm not thinking of like the summer AAU thing, but like, was this the first year you got like a school or a, um, a head coaching position or was it two years ago? Yeah. So, so this was my second year. So when I moved out to Los Angeles, um, I got started coaching at Windward. My, the deal was coach eighth grade and then assistant for varsity. So I, this, I just finished up my second season as a head coach for the eighth grade and then my second season as assistant for the varsity team. And what did you find out about, like, I'm sure you watch video because you just uh, immediately seem like that. If you have a notebook where you're writing down like Jeff, dreamy blue eyes as, you know, the ref's name, what, um, what do you notice about yourself on the sideline as the head coach that you were like, huh, kind of like that? Or why am I being that guy? You're talking about with, with me and the eighth grade team as a head coach? Yeah, because I think, well, I don't you think the demeanor of the head coach gets a little different than the um, assistant coaches, right? Because they get to stand up, they get to move a little more, you know, they have more freedom and liberty. So like you looking at you for the first time, did you notice anything that you, that made you think? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm always, I'm always really big on body language you know, for like for our, for our players and for myself. And so in the last couple of years, I've started to become a lot more conscious about what, what is my body language when I'm on the bench? Because, you know, chances are if, if I can watch myself, then there's somebody else that's watching me too. Right. So gotcha. it could be a player, could be a parent, could be an administrator at the school who's there watching the game, you know, and, and I always want to, make sure that I'm putting my best foot forward and demonstrating the best version of myself that I possibly can. And, and a lot of that has to do with your body language. So, you know, I've observed, um, you know, myself in, in a bad situation, you know, throw my hands up or, right. you know, put slam my clipboard down or something like that. And, you know, again, in the heat of the moment, I don't always realize what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, sometimes I can stop myself. Um, but, you know, I always really try to, display positive body language um yeah. just because you know i don't i would never i would never tolerate our kids doing anything less than that um so i need to demonstrate that for them so um that's one thing that being said sean i, I don't spend a ton of time watching myself when i'm watching film i'm <laughs> i'm looking at uh our guys or you know the other team or scouting or whatever it is but you don't break um, down your like signal calls of how you got the team from like full core press to a two three zone you're like man you know i was kind of weak on my elbow there i gotta gotta get my posture better so the kids can see me you don't do that huh? yeah i'm still working i'm still working <laughs> on my coaching highlight tape um that'll be probably, probably coming out sometime here in the next few weeks i gotta get a few more clips um together but i gotta <laughs> pick the right soundtrack too. It's, it's tough. It's hard work. If anything comes out of this quarantine, that should be something. So I, I it might've been mixtapes, someone on Twitter, Instagram, there was a referee highlight that had like the music, the slow-mo, the, like the, it was 45 seconds of just hilarity, like charge calls, block calls. Yeah, I saw that. That was okay. great. Yeah, dude, dude, that was, and you just inspired me. Like whoever, if anybody actually hears that, like just doing different, a coach's highlight tape. Like, could you imagine Tom Izzo's highlight tape? God. Oh, it'd be unbelievable. Yeah. Tom Izzo, Bruce Pearl, Sean Miller. Dude, Bruce Pearl would um, be great. Yeah. I, I got to, um, and Phil Jackson would just be crickets. Him just sitting there. Legs crossed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to see, uh, earlier this, this college season, I got to see, um, Arizona state came to town to play UCLA oh. and that was, uh, Hurley versus Cronin. And two of those are extremely animated coaches. And, and, uh, you know, as a coach, 
while I'm watching the game, I also do mosey my eyes over to the sideline. And, you know, I love seeing what coaches are doing, how they interact with yeah. their players, yeah, you know, yeah. with the referees, all that stuff. And those two guys going back and forth with their players, with the refs, with each other, um, was awesome to watch because the amount of passion and, and energy by those two guys on the sidelines is, is amazing. So that was, uh, that was really fun to watch. Um, and I, I just love seeing coaches, you know, and learning about different coaches and how they conduct themselves. You know, obviously, like you said, Phil Jackson or Popovich, very stoic. Dude, you know? I love Popovich's sarcastic ass. They have done the highlight, like his halftime highlights where he just does yeah. the stupid comments. And I'm like, Jesus, I just love you. I love you. Yep. Yeah. I wish you were my grandfather. When he intentionally fouled Shaq on a jump ball, I think Shaq was on the Suns. It might have been after LA's year. Do you remember that? Like it was the beginning of the first regular season game and they intentionally foul him and they go to pop and he's got like the old man I've been in the wilderness or Corona quarantined beard and he just smile and he points at him with a thumbs up. <laughs> like, God. That's great. The hack-a-shack. Bring, bring back the hack-a-shack. Yeah, and he was doing it just to make fun of himself to be like, yeah, I do it. You know what I'm gonna do. Just to screw with Shaq, dude. Like to be the coach that does that, like how secure are you in yourself, you know? Well, it's great, and I, I was uh, I was watching last night. They had the rerun of the the '08 Celtics versus Lakers championship game, um, and I'm a Celtics fan. Grew up in Boston, and so I was I was loving that. And they put up a graphic that was comparing um, Phil Jackson to Red Auerbach, and obviously this is an '08, and you know since then Popovich has won several more titles. Okay, yeah, um, right. You know, and it, but it was just a great comparison to see those two dudes, um, you know, two legends. Uh, going head to head and how many wins they'd had, how many titles they had. Uh, it's, it's truly amazing. Like, and now the, with the Bulls special being on TV, you know, seeing, seeing that stuff again. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty special. Those, what those guys have accomplished. Do you have a couple like go-to coaches where you're um, role model-ish where you're like, man, I'd really, I, I like this guy's Cause you were talking about observing them. So like, are you, do you like Izzo and you're like, dude, I like the way that he just gets up in kids and tries to fire them up where I really like Phil, where he's more relaxed on the bench and he's letting kids play through stuff. Who are a couple of people that influence you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, as a coach, I'm always pulling things from lots of different people, right? Whether it's X's and O's or terminology or, you know, just how they interact with their players and stuff like that. So you know, there's been there's been a lot of people. I, I typically am not a, a get in your face type of coach. Um, so I'm actually I'm fascinated by coaches that are you know extremely hard on their guys. Like an Izzo, I, I remember there was something that came out. I don't know if it was this season or last oh, season. Oh yeah, but he Izzo grabbed was, the dude right going to the side, yeah. like just straight up grabbed his jersey. And I mean, he the the player had him by what a foot and a half and like a hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, and Izzo was fearless going at this kid. Yep. Yeah, no, I, and, and, you know, I watch that and, and I find it amazing that, you know, coaches and players, they have that relationship and that rapport where, you know, they can, they can do that kind of stuff and, and coaches and the players will both be understanding that, you know, this is, it's out of love, right? It's, it's not something that I'm being malicious or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think that I, as I am still growing in, into my, you know, coaching shoes and, and trying to figure out kind of what coach do I want to be? How do I want to run stuff? You know, how do I want to interact with people? I, I definitely pull a lot of things from lots of different coaches. Um, you know, I, I, I've never really aspired to be an NBA coach. I've always kind of wanted to coach at a really high level in college or in, in, in a high, high level in high school. But, 
you know, I, I do watch obviously the NBA guys and, and I really like Doc Rivers. Um, I think he, oh. you know, just has a great way of interacting with everyone involved with his organization, whether it's the players, whether it's the media, um, whether it's other coaches, you know, I just fought, have always felt like he would be a really great guy to, to be around and, and, and person to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I want in my experience as a coach. I want people to remember me that I was, you know, a great coach, but also a really great guy to be around and somebody that, you know, they could talk to about basketball or they could talk to about their family or their girlfriends or school or personal things that are going on or life or politics, whatever it is. Like I've always strived to make sure that I'm that coach that players can connect to on multiple levels. Um, And so that's, you know, I think that that comes through when you're having interactions with the guys, not just on the court, but also off the court as well. Right. And you got to respect a coach that loses his voice every game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that dude, I could not imagine, man, I've been in some, I'm trying to think, man, I might've coached in front of three, four, maybe 500 people. Um, I think might be the largest crowd I've coached, maybe 500 and shit gets loud, dude. I could not imagine being an NBA coach in a finals game in what, 20,000 people. And you're trying to communicate even during a timeout with the cheerleaders, the PA system, the fans, like it, or a college coach, like how does Krzyzewski communicate when you're at Chapel Hill, you know, during a timeout? I, I just can't imagine what that does for your voice and what that atmosphere is like. Yeah, it's, it's uh, unbelievable. When I, when I was, um, when I was the student manager, um, at university of Wisconsin, I remember oh, no way. Good for you. certain days. Yeah. They, we used to, um, coach Ryan used to bump, uh, used to bump like crowd noise, like artificial crowd noise, um, at practices when we knew we were going to be going into a hostile environment. And ever since that moment, I've, and I'm sure lots of coaches do that. Right. Um, but we used to, we used that a little bit at the prep school. We've even tried it now, um, at my high school and just like flooding with loud, annoying crowd music and cheering, um, just to, to kind of get the guys ready and prepare them mentally for, yeah. for that kind of stuff. And it's good. You, you work on your hand signals, you work on, you know, just how, how are we going to get through this, with, you know, not being able to hear each other. And, and it's no definitely doubt. tough. It's definitely tough, but, um, Dude, you know, I think listening, it helps. listening for kids when they are exhausted is so hard for them. Like you've just asked a kid to play their heart out, like basically sprint for whatever, three, four, five straight minutes. And then, oh, hey, come over here. I need you to, I need to speak to you publicly and have you get information and then execute whatever it is I'm telling you. Like that's, that's tough for grown men, let alone kids. You know, I, I think sure. people don't think about that a lot when um, kids screw stuff up. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And then you put environment on top of it and the pressure of just your peers and that judgment that kids experience, man, it's, um, it's hard for them. What um? Yeah. What Wisconsin squad were you a grad student on or a grad coach on? I was in an undergrad and I was I'm undergrad sorry. manager. So I went to um, after I graduated high school in Boston. I went out to Madison and actually followed in the footsteps of my dad and my brother, who both um, were Badgers. Um, and I ended up going out there. I, my first year was 2010. I was actually uh, I applied and I had reached out to become a manager. Um, heading into my freshman year of college, and there was this big, uh, almost like a tryout process, and we had tons of people. I want to say there was over 50 kids that tried out. I know. Um, 
and it was a written test. It was a like an on court test. All these drills. It was it was amazing. It was right. quite Jesus. Yes, I, I absolutely. I am so fucking infatuated right now. So is it like the and like the how quick can you get water type shit? Are are they making you like run like like floor sweepers where you put a towel on the floor and you're going baseline to baseline? Like what are what what is the court test like? Yes. So there was, um, so basically a couple of the things were, here are some drills that we do and at practice and like, you know, if the guy gets injured or if we need an extra body or something, basically, can you do it? And so we would have guys go through the drills and it doesn't mean like you have to be able to windmill dunk, you know, like otherwise I would have never become a manager, but yeah, you'd have been a player. uh, But, you know, it was like, okay, here's a, you know, we're going to do this passing drill. Can you do this? Um, you know, here's a shooting drill it was, you know, rebounding. It was, um, you know, some, some of here's a spot in the floor. How quick can you get to it? Um, wipe it up. Um, and then a lot of what we used to do at practice was keeping stats. So, oh, okay. you know, can you, can you stat a live scrimmage or something like that? So there was the whole court component. There was the the written test, which would be, you know, name every player on the team, every coach on the team. Oh. Um, you know, what, what what was our record last year? Just kind of, you know, what, how, how long is the shot clock? Um, you know, random basketball questions, random team specific questions, really just to, you know, see who was prepared and who really wanted it versus who was just kind of coming out just to, you know, just to see. Get a t-shirt? Like. Did you at least get a t-shirt for coming out? <laughs> no, no, no t-shirts. Oh, they didn't even throw you gear for trying out? Shit, no, I would no, think like it, a headband at least. Got to earn, you got to earn that gear. Got to earn that gear. Um, so what, but, how much did you prepare? Cause I, I was actually going to ask that, like how open knowledge is it that you're going to have to do drills? You're going to have to keep stats. You're going to have like a basic random information test. Well, so I had, I had reached out originally via email to the head manager at the time. And, you know, he kind of gave me information about the tryout and told me a little bit didn't give into specifics, but told me there would be a process for kind of trying out. So the first year, actually, I uh, didn't didn't get it. I got um, kind of turned away um, for whatever reason, maybe because you know, maybe because I didn't wipe up the sweat quick enough, or you know, something. Drips, whatever man, it was. drips. But if you leave, honestly, I'm gonna tell you the key. If you leave a streak mark, man, you you didn't get it streak free. Um, I I've read the scouting report on you that they had filed, and they they said you were a streaker unfortunately. Yeah. I, I didn't get low enough. You know, my, my <laughs> thought wasn't, it wasn't good. So that, that, I, yeah, I was it was the form. <laughs> I was doing one hand. I needed to be two handing it, but it's, I learned, I learned. And, and so wait, um, can I ask you, how do they let the managers go? Cause like as a basketball coach, it always sucks to cut people, right? Like you look at a kid and you're like, sorry, man, I got this many spots. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And like, that's the worst day of my life. Like when you have to make cuts on a basketball team, do they care about you managers or is it just like, Hey, you, you, you come here. The rest of y'all are scrubs. Get out. Yeah. Well, I think for me, especially since I had reached out beforehand and showed my interest, um, you know, they had kind of reached back out to me the the head manager and said, Hey Matt, you know, like, unfortunately, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going in a different direction for the season, but if you're interested in trying out again next year, we'd love to have you back. So he kind of left the door open for me gotcha. um, and, and I made sure that I was going to take the opportunity to do that, especially having, you know, the, the experience under my belt. So I knew coming back the next year, um, kind of what it was going to entail. So I was a little more ready for it. Physically, when you're sitting there, so let's just say there's 50 dudes. Um, 
like what what's your bio at that point? Are you like 5'10", 180? Like what's your uh what's your stat? Yep, I'm I was a very mediocre high school basketball player. Um I went to a pretty pretty sizable school in in Boston, uh Boston Latin High School. It's the oldest high school in the country. Oh. Um and we had about I think about 500 kids in my graduating class, maybe a little bit less. So, you know, it's not it's not the biggest school in the world, but it's not the smallest either. And and so I just kind of came in from that environment to a huge, you know, 40,000 plus school of Wisconsin and but I knew I wanted to be a part of that basketball team. And so I'm, I'm coming in there and, and I don't know what college is like. I'm a freshman. I'm wide eyed. I'm in a new city, a new part of the country. Um, but all I knew was, you know, there's 94 feet here. There's a round orange thing. And, and this is what I want to do. Um, and so I, I made it happen. Right. So I'm wondering what we'll just say, like they put you line you up on the sideline and then they start talking to you. Are you looking up and down that line, seeing some like imposing physical specimens or are you seeing people who are kind of like you like high school players that might want to get into the um basketball as a profession and uh, they just use it as a stepping stone or are you seeing dudes who are like hoping like somebody gets hurt maybe i can be a walk-on from a manager yeah i think i think a little bit of everything sean i think there's guys that come into it wanting to you know, live out their hoop dreams and, and thinking that they might have a chance to walk on as a manager. Um, I think there was guys that were big fans of the team and wanted to just, you know, be around the players and in, in the organization. And then I think there was people, you know, that really wanted to be coaches. And, and to be quite honest, I think, you know, when I first started, I, I knew that coaching was something that was interesting to me, but it wasn't like a lifelong passion of mine. It wasn't, um, neither, neither of my parents are involved in anything related to sports. Um, but, I fell in love with the game of basketball. My, I have an older brother who we used to play basketball a lot, my dad and I in our backyard and stuff. So I always just fell in love with basketball and I kind of infused a lot of what my parents had taught me from what their professions were. Um, and my dad worked in, in human resources and my mom was a, is a therapist and a ah, social worker. Body language, and, body language, body language. There exactly. it is. It all, it all comes full circle. Yeah, no. So, so, you know, I grew up in an environment in a household like that, where, you know, working through your problems, sharing, um, you know, communicating things like that, um, helping people was always on the forefront. And so I just, you know, fell in love with basketball and I said, well, you know, I I started to get into college and and I thought, how can I use all these lessons that I've learned and kind of grow up with? um, How can I use these and use the game of basketball to put them together, combine them. So, you know, as, as I went through college and I had this experience, as a manager, I also had an opportunity to work at a Division three school called Edgewood College, which is also in Madison, um, and and I got to be like a student assistant and a, and a manager there, and and help out in a lot of different areas over there. So you know, as kind of as I went through college, I started to develop my passion and my love, and gotcha. learn a lot more about what it really entailed to be a coach. Um, and then you know, from there, it just kept evolving and kept evolving to where I am now. So I see Jay Billis and Jay Billis is a great fucking tweeter. No wonder college kids love him. Cause that dude, like, I, I don't know how he gets it, but he just fucking gets it. Um, he'll tweet about like the manager games between the schools. Were, yep. you, were you involved in any of those? Like, has that always been a thing? Uh, it, it was really starting up when I was just getting started as a manager. Um, it had always kind of been something that was happening. Like, managers would or video coordinators or you know guys would come in the day before or whatever and and at nighttime when they were done with whatever they had to do 
you know, it's kind of like a, an under, you know, under wraps. Hey, you guys want to play some pickup tonight? Like, cool. We'll, we'll make it happen. Cause you guys um, had access to the real court and shit, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Real court or the practice court or, you know, whatever it was. And most of this, like with us at Wisconsin, we had a staff of about 16 managers. Oh, wow. um, so we had a full squad. Now, granted, not everybody liked to play basketball. You know, people had different interests, but there was at least five guys that could, could make it happen. And, uh, and most, I think most of the schools in the big 10 had big manager staffs. Also some, some teams wouldn't travel their whole staff. So it kind of depended on what you could have. And, gotcha. um, but it really started to pick up. And then I think, um, I think it was, uh, somebody from Michigan state, I forget his name, but he, he kind of started organizing almost like analytics and this right. whole tournament for, for managers. And, um, I remember, when I, after I finished at Wisconsin, I went off to back home to Northeastern in Boston and was a graduate assistant, uh, there. And we, when we went to the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh and we played Notre Dame in the, my first year at, at Northeastern, uh, Dude, um, we you, played, you were at Northeastern. Jesus, yep. man. Dude, you have, uh, I, I, I'm just putting all this travel together in my head. I'm sorry to cut you off, man, but I'm like, man, what fucking life experiences you have had, dude. I'm sorry. I was just like, you're just bouncing all like LA, Midwest, Boston, North. All right, keep going. I'm sorry, man. NCAA tournament, yeah, yeah. Notre Dame. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm back. So I grew up in Boston, went to Madison Midwest for college, then came back to Boston. So I'm, I'm at Northeastern now. I'm in, I'm in grad school and we're in the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh and myself and a couple of other of our managers, uh, we linked up with, you know, in, in NCAA tournament, you have pods, right? So there's maybe four or eight teams that are in that region that are playing to compete to move on. So we were in Pittsburgh. So I think it was maybe Auburn, Texas, uh, maybe du- Duquesne was the host school in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to, I'm trying to remember who else, obviously Notre Dame, who we played against. Um, so all of those managers kind of got together and through connections um, you know, organize a little pickup game at Duquesne. So, you know, that was kind of a really fun experience for me, but I know it's really, really blown up since then. And, and it's become like a, a real, like you said, even guys like Jay Billis are talking about it. Um, the Dude, manager it's, games, it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And a lot of these schools, to be honest, Sean, like they use managers or grad assistants or whatever. Like a lot of these schools have former, like big time players that are coming back to work on these college apps. So it's like, could you imagine if, you know, um, I know like Ohio state, for example, Greg Odin is working there. Like, could right. you imagine if you're, if you're a manager and you're like, all right, check up. All right. I got Greg Odin. No doubt. What? <laughs> no fucking doubt. I saw Sean May on a Roy Williams bench yep, and I'm exactly. like, Jesus, if that dude wanted to get a run, it, um, it would be like, there's video of Shaq going to just like a regular gym and just fucking dominating people. And I'm like, what, what would you do? Do like how, how serious does Greg Oden take it? Does he just shoot threes the whole game? Cause he's like, let me just expand. <laughs> or is he in there just trying to make you feel bad about yourself? Right. Yeah. Well, I, the only thing I know is it's, it's a lot of fun. The managers love doing it. Um, you know, we, we as managers, um, you know, we spend so much time doing the dirty work, helping other people, serving other people, players, coaches, whatever it is. Essential man. Um, Essential. Yeah. You can, you can't have a high a level program without a bunch of random people doing random shit. Cause a head coach couldn't do it all. Even the assistant coaches couldn't do all that. Yep. It's, it's a thankless job. Right. And a lot of, again, a lot of the, the managers um, want to coach and they love playing basketball. Right. So, so 
for them, it's a nice ex- escape to be able to say, Hey, we're going to play for, you know, an hour tonight, right. play some pickup. And it's also, you know, a little competition, right? A lot of us miss that competition yeah, after yeah. We finish high school, you know, going up against other guys. It's different than when you go to the rec gym and, you know, play pickup. Not everybody knows the game. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody really cares. What well, and you're not going to see them the next day where you can like talk smack about how you lit them up or how you shut exactly. them down. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I can only imagine, you know, the next day you're, you know, you're handing that DVD off to the other team's manager and, and you're Bitch. like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, nice game last night. <laughs> and you just slap them on the ass and walk away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Dude, so, did, yeah, you, no, did you ever have a game, like a manager game where you um, walked off thinking, yeah, I'm just one good summer away from being a walk on. No, 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 not, not at maybe not at the level that I was, I was working at the time. Um, but you know, I, I got to, I was never, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, not a big guy. I'm about five, nine on a good day, five, 10, when I have my Timberlands on, there but it is. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I think it's hard being a, a person of my stature and not having played at a really high level, like, I know what my limitations are, which I think is really important for anybody. Know, you know, know what your strengths are, know what your weaknesses are. El- so elbow jumpers know, but, and setting screens. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> or, uh, you know, running, running off the ball screen. I was, I was passer. I was a passer for a lot of our drills. You were, you, know, so. you were a great guy to have like the ball reversal when there's like exactly. swing it, get it to Matt swing. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you need, when you need to have the, you know, your guy Iverson cut across, you know, just to distract the defense. That was me. Just move. <laughs> to the corner whatever you got to do um right but, and everybody's you know, so yelling shooter because you're the white guy right so it's like shooter shooter he must be doing it exactly, for a reason exactly yeah <laughs> so you know you just kind of you just kind of figure out but no I, I think that um you know i i i would try my best to get involved in drills wherever i needed to but you know i'm never going to be the the six foot four six foot five manager with the pad banging bodies with the bigs that, yeah, that right? was just never never going to be me. So, yeah, you know, dude, I that's a great point. What, Jesus. I didn't even think about that. Like physically you do need guys to bang pads so that your post guys actually get what it's like to go against post size, post strength. That's a great point. Yep. Yeah. And that, and that's, um, you know, honestly, that's, I think that plays a big role in programs as they do look for managers. Um, yeah. You know what we need, we need someone with some size, somebody that can, can play a little bit with our guys, but also somebody that can, you know, be, be a force because, you know, the, the that's the kind of the thing is, is you want your guys to get better. They have to go. It's not going to help them going up against a bunch of Matt Elkins, right? Because yeah. it's not realistic. You know, right. they're throwing, they're throwing passes and they got to throw it to, to a guy whose pocket is, you know, about maybe four ten instead of, you know, their pockets up around six feet to make that pass. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot different. Um, but you know, you do, you do the best job that you can. And, and that's kind of always what I've prided myself. I'm just going to do, I can only be me. Right. right. Like, so I'm going to do the best job that I can at being me. And, and then hopefully, um, you know, I, I figure out and learn other ways that I can kind of get around some of those holdbacks that I have. Physical limitations. Isn't that what life's all yeah. about? Figuring out how to maximize your physical limitations. Hey, exactly. so did you ever, did you ever dunk on 10 feet or how close did you get? Uh, I touched the net a few times. Shut up, man. You did not top, you did not top out at net. You had to be at least a backboard slapper. You know, you had a couple can, layup lines where you were just fucking rattling the glass. I could, uh, I'm probably on my bounciest day. I could 
get like maybe to my fingertip on the little rubber part on the bottom of the backboard. Um, Stop, dude. Stop. That's about it. So I was I was a very very much so below the rim player. Steve Smith, Schmitty. Um, so how, so I remember that, and like, it was literally the proudest, this was the, and I never got to play basketball on any sort of level. I think I was in the intramural championship at a community college where all season I scored two points. Um, but I was a starter all year. Cause all I did was pass and D up. But I remember Duncan nine, five at one point on a backyard court. And who knows if it was really nine, five, cause whatever you drop the rim, but you'll know if it's actually leveled. And like, sure. I, I never felt so good about myself in my life. I don't think. Like I, I hit that nine, five, two hand, I'm hanging on the rim, like Woody Harrelson type shit. And I'm just like, ha ah. ha did you lower the rim to like eight feet, nine feet? Like how you had to have. In my back, in my backyard, in my driveway, we had an adjustable hoop. That yeah. was probably the only place I could live out, live out my, my uh, slam dunk competition. Yeah. Dreams. Right. White man can't jump. So what was the highest high you had on your Duncan? Well, I, honestly, I wouldn't. I mean, I would make it probably as low as I possibly could. Oh, you <laughs> were the six foot dunker. <laughs> I would because once it got to a certain height, Sean. Once it got to a certain height, like you're all you're doing is rim grazing, and that's not fun. So you want to put it down to like yeah, yeah. maybe six feet, so you can do some windmills. Yeah, you know, between the legs, throw it off the side, off the siding of the house, and then my mom would come out and say, you know, stop doing that shit, right. Matt. You know, it's um, but yeah, it, it was fun, and that was before you know I wasn't really like recording myself doing any of that stuff on my phone or yeah, whatever. No now, nowadays, if I was a kid, I'd, oh yeah, I'd be doing that all the time. Dude, the slow-mo video is just, it's where it's at. It's amazing to me. Um, have you gone to the trampoline parks and tried to be like the dunker, like Vince Cartering on a trampoline park? Have you seen those? No, I've actually, I, yeah, I've seen them, but I haven't, I've never gotten a chance to do it. Oh dude, it's such an eerie feeling. Like, I mean, you where, where like your chest is above the rim off of a bounce or like if the hoops like 15 feet up and you just keep having to go and you're like, dude, when I dunk this, do I grab the rim? Do I just come back down? Like what's going to happen? Um, and I think that's like the closest feeling I think I'll ever get to feeling like Jordan or whoever, where, where they just keep like, you're fucking hitting your head on the backboard on a, on a chase down block. Like Jesus, that must feel so different. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll probably never get to experience that in my life. But yeah, maybe if I get on the trampoline, I can, you know, feel feel like I'm flying through the air like some of my players do. Dude, yeah, it's so much fun. Um, were were you there for the Wisconsin Final Four for Comiskey and all that? Yeah, so I was. So my senior my senior year at Wisconsin was the year that we <clears throat> excuse me went to the Final Four and mm-hmm. lost a uh, heartbreaker to Kentucky. Um, wait, I thought, Oh shit. You guys lost. I thought you guys beat Kentucky and then lost to Duke. Yep. So that was the very next year. Very next next year we, we went in and, um, Kentucky was undefeated, uh, undefeated. Yep. Carl Anthony towns, right? They were, they were pretty nasty that year and we had an amazing team. Um, and we, we came out and, and we shocked the world, I guess you could say. And then we made it to the championship and ran into an extremely, extremely talented Duke team. Um, and that was my, so that was my first year as a grad assistant at Northeastern. Okay. Um, so I was one year out of college when we went to the championship. And then it was my senior year when, uh, when we made it to the final four. So back to back final fours, it was unprecedented, you know, for, for a school like Wisconsin um, to, to do that. And it really, I think, 
it was great for me um, because I had always fell in love with Wisconsin since I was young because my dad and my brother had both went there. And, um, you know, I had a sense of pride growing up in Boston with all the great colleges and the pro sports town that I was going to, you know, Madison, Wisconsin. And now finally my, my teams are on this big stage, especially basketball. Um, But we had always, I mean, basketball, football, hockey. I mean, there was so much, so many great sports programs um, in Madison that was awesome. It was a great sense of pride for me when I would, you know, brag to my friends back home and, you know, they didn't have that sort of college uh, sports experience because a lot of them went to schools in Boston and Boston is a pro sports town. So, right. you know, my, my friends who, even my friends who went to Boston college or UMass, you know, like they weren't getting as excited for their basketball and football and hockey games as I was. So yeah. um, it, it was, it was a pretty awesome experience to get to see them back to back years on, you know, the biggest stage in college basketball. Dude, your grades must've been shit <laughs> with all that extra time. I'm surprised you even graduated. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to, I would have loved to stick around. I know plenty of my friends that did, uh, you know, the victory lap um, at Wisconsin. It, it was, uh, it was an, it was an amazing place, Sean. It was, it was uh, life changing for me. I got to meet, so many people from different parts of the country and different parts of the world that were similar to me, so much different than I was. Um, and you know, some of, some of my closest friends to this day and probably for the rest of my life, uh, were people that I lived with my first year, uh, freshman year in that dorm. Um, I just had an amazing experience there and, and I love, I love Madison. I love the Midwest. Um, but you know, I'm a coast, I'm a, they, they call us coasties. We're from the coast, East coast guy. And now I'm living on the West coast. So, right. um, yeah, I, I, was, I, I like the big cities too. I was going to ask, so did you try to become a grad assistant with Wisconsin after being the manager or do, is that not commonplace? Is it hard for managers to take that next step? Um, well, I think it kind of just depends on the staff. And so, um, at the time we didn't really have grad graduate assistance wasn't really a thing at, at Wisconsin. I don't know if they, oh, okay. if they do it right now, but, um, but no, I, I was honestly, when I finished my time as a student in Madison, um, I was actually kind of looking to, to find ways to get back to Boston. And so I had, um, that year, I remember vividly, it was in Dallas, um, at the final four and I was there and I, uh, met, coach McLaughlin, Dave McLaughlin, who has been a big mentor of mine. He's now the head coach at Dartmouth. Um, but he was the associate head coach at Northeastern at the time. Uh, I met him at the final four, you know, we had some connection from both being from the new England area, um, Boston area and him being at Boston at Northeastern. And I, you know, really, uh, had looked into the Northeastern graduate program and had actually already applied because I was interested in coming back home regardless. And, you know, then I kind of followed up with him and sent him letters and emails and phone calls and, and basically bothered him until he told me, yeah, we'd love to have you come in um, <laughs> nice. to work with us. And so that was that was great for me because at the time, Northeastern didn't really have a graduate assistant or a grad manager either. So it was almost like, hey, Matt, if you want to come in and help us out with some things like you know, while you're in school, let us know. And we'd love to have you. And, and I don't think, I think their expectations are very low to start. And Dude, those are the best kind, I, man. Hey, under, what is it? Under, undersell, overperform? Yes, exactly. Yeah, dude, you always want to walk into a situation with low expectations. Like the fucker who follows Phil Jackson or the next pick after Michael Jordan. Like, what, what are you doing? You got, you got nowhere to go. 
Well, and I, and I think also the thing that helped too is I was not, you know, I was not replacing anyone, right? right? So I was kind of creating my own niche and I was, you know, showing them that even though I'm a, a grad student, um, you know, I'm really committed to this basketball thing. And so I was making sure that I was first guy in the office every morning. I would actually text Coach McLaughlin was usually the first guy in because he would work out. I don't even know when that guy would sleep, but he <laughs> he would come in the mornings, you know, sometimes five, five thirty, six. And so I would a lot of times I would just text him and be like, Hey coach, you're getting a workout in tomorrow, almost kinda like to sneakily find out what time he'd be coming in. <laughs> um, so that I could make sure I was there. And I remember the first you know, first while that I was there, I didn't have access to anything, right? So I was I would literally sit outside the building waiting for somebody to come in and let me in or, you know, coach to come in. And then as, you know, as I was there for longer and, you know, I, I got the key to, to be able to get into the building and the office so I could already be there waiting when the coach would arrive. But Man. I mean, I pretty much created something from nothing and right. um, learned what coaches needed, what I could do to help. And then also a big part of that was just, you know, what do our players need? How can I help them? Um, you know, whether that's rebounding or uh, helping them, you know, in a variety of different ways off the court as well. So again, that's kind of where, you know, I, I continue to develop my love for coaching and, and, you know, working with players and student athletes. Yeah. It just seems like that servant leader mentality, right? Like you just show up and I'm here to serve. That's a, that, that's, that's the right mentality to have servant leadership. Definitely. Um, I'd wanted to ask you because I, unlike you did not go to any sort of cool college. Um, so final four, I've heard about like in football teams, when they go to like their bowl games, they get like these swag bags. Is there a final four swag bag that the managers got? Um, I mean, I, the players most definitely get it. And I think for most, for most programs, what the players and coaches get sometimes trickles down, sometimes doesn't. Um, now I know for traveling purposes, like we, we couldn't travel the whole, the whole team uh, or the whole group crew of managers. So some people would travel on their own. Um, and be able to, you know, get to help out and stay at the hotel or whatever it is. But um, I actually went, so come by the time that we were going to the final four. So this was my senior year. By that point, I had actually transitioned from being a manager at Wisconsin to being the student assistant coach, student manager um, at Edgewood, the division three school. So what happened was my first year, I did that tryout, didn't get it. Second year was a manager, got it was, you know, one of uh, about 16 or 17 other guys. Um, and it, and to be quite honest, it wasn't what I had expected coming into it. Um, oh, really? I wanted to be really involved with in a lot of different areas. And, and I, at that time and at that age where I was in my career, I don't think I was ready to sit back and be patient and put in the time and the work that it required to work up the pecking order, so to say. So oh, okay. what, what ended up happening was my finishing up my sophomore year um, had actually uh, I, I was playing pickup uh, back home during the summer and, and had torn my ACL and it was devastating for me. And Oh man, you cut out on me there. Um, Hold on one second, Matt, you cut out. So you tore your ACL and what happened? Yep. Can you hear me now? Yep. You're back. Okay, All cool, good. Cool. So yeah, so I tore my ACL and, and, um, so I was, you know, not able to move around as good as I wanted. And, oh, and at shit. the time, um, the, 
Edgewood, which was a division three school right in Madison, they had just gotten a new head coach. Their assistant coach had got bumped up to head coach. And um, it's a, you know, division three, much smaller staff, so much more opportunity. And so gotcha. I had looked at that and I thought, you know, I could be, go over there and be the, the, the one manager instead of the, you know, one of 16 managers. I could travel everywhere. I could do a lot of stuff with video. I could do a lot of stuff in terms of recruit, helping with recruiting and, and all different areas. And, and so it really was actually um, an amazing opportunity for me. So my junior and senior year, I was over working at Edgewood. I was still a student at Madison. And, and it was nice because I could actually now get to watch Badger games almost more as a fan right. while knowing kind of some of the inside scoop on a lot of stuff, but get to watch and go to games and, and then kind of get my fix on the sidelines and, and working my way up uh, at the division three level. And so, you know, again, looking at my experiences up until now, having been a, a, a small part of a, of a big time division one program at Wisconsin, right. being a, 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 you know, a relatively bigger part at a smaller division huge, three school. Huge, huge, a um, huge part at a division three school. <laughs> huge. As huge, as huge as an <laughs> undergrad uh, student assistant manager can be. Yes. Um, Essential but, employee type shit. Exactly. Like, yeah, oh, wait, Matt, like Matt, Matt, Matt's sick today. All right, practice. Never mind. Guys, go study hall. Yeah, if we were in quarantine back then, I would still be. I would be an essential business. I would be. Uh, I'd be out there at practice with my gloves and my mask on. Um, but no, and that so so going from a, I guess you would say a small fish in a big pond to a, a somewhat bigger fish in a smaller pond. Yeah. Um, was, was an awesome experience for me and in, in undergrad, and then you know got the opportunity to go to Northeastern, so work at a pretty good division one program and then work at a, uh, an elite prep school in Vermont, Vermont Academy. And, and then now at a pretty high level Share high the sugar. school and doing, uh, doing a lot of the stuff that I do on the AAU grassroots scene as well out here in LA. So I've really gotten a, a pretty wide view and, um, a nice taste of lots of different levels within the game of basketball so far. Yeah, dude. It, um, it definitely seems like it. Let me ask you as, um, I don't know if I've ever been, I, I've seen some division one athletes, but I've never actually like coached division one athletes or like NBA talent. What's a, is size the most basic sim, or separator from like D3 to D1? Like, oh dude, if you were six, six, you'd be fine, but you're six one. So you're a D3 guy. Is that kind of the, the, the line or is there a line? Um, there's definitely a line. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with size, athleticism, um, you know, ability to score the basketball, who can you defend? How do you defend the basketball? Can you defend multiple positions? Um, You know, a lot of it is, and and different coaches have different methods on how they recruit, but, you know, a lot of it's just an eye test. You know, are you one of the most athletic guys, one of the fastest guys, one of the biggest guys, but just because you're, I mean, there's plenty of seven footers and and really tall guys that play division three too. You know, it's, it's just about your skill set. Um, And I think being dynamic is extremely important. So, you know, a lot of things that, uh, you know, the NBA is starting now and trickles all the way down is, you know, positionless basketball. So are you a guard, a guard, but you can play in the post? Are you a a wing that you can defend, you know, smaller guys or quicker guys? You know, can you switch everything? Um, You know, stuff like that, I think is, is really important. And that's what college coaches are going to look for. So they're going to look for you know, how well do you shoot the ball? How well do you defend? How athletic can you rebound? What are the skills that you possess that will translate to us? And then, you know, it's team specific. Certain teams need a 
point guard that is a pass first point guard. Certain teams okay, need right. a big guy that's going to stretch it out to the perimeter. So it's really kind of depends on those characteristics and, and what the team or, or the school or the coach that's recruiting you really needs for their program. Gotcha. That makes sense. It, um, I don't know. So many kids feel, and it's funny because kids don't realize their limits till they're around people who can set them for them. As far as like, if you're a gifted athlete, you may not actually be a gifted athlete until you get around other gifted athletes. And then you're like, whoa, I was not working hard these past couple of years. And, uh, it's a shame when kids like kind of get that, uh, cold water to the face when they're like, wait, I'm not, I, I just can't like grab the rebound. Cause I want it. I actually have to like set it up somehow. Well, yeah. And I, th- I think too, the other thing, Sean is, is there's always a transition. So I, right now with me and my eighth graders, I'm helping them transition to what's the difference between playing middle school ball to playing high school ball. It's a big difference, right? And same thing for high school. You know, when you are a senior and you're all league and you're the best player on your team and you're, you know, all state or whatever it is, you're going to come into a college program with seniors and juniors and guys that have been playing for longer than you have. And, and you have to hit the reset button. You're starting at the bottom, working your way up. Same thing when you get to the league, right? Unless you're some star or first number one draft pick, right? Yeah. A lot of guys are coming into the league and, and they're rookies and they have to work their way up too. Oh, so yeah. there's always that transitional period, which is really challenging for a lot of kids and, and, you know, just coming to grips with the fact that now I went from being the star and the leader and the captain to just being a freshman or a right. rookie or whatever. And, and that's a, that's a really challenging transition for a lot of kids. Yeah, because they've always had success, right? They've always been the guy since whatever fucking youth league, second, third grade, and now you're a starter, and now you're the the, the centerpiece, and then you, it's almost like it could be five, six years of your life, and now it's like, hey man, come off the bench, and like just mentally yep. dealing with that and what it does for your rep would be tough for kids. Yeah, you know yeah, what? I'm actually, sure. I, dude. How hard was it for you being around all this college stuff? And, um, the, so the Vermont school, I don't know if, um, you know this or not. I, I don't think I told you I'm actually the uh, clock guy at the slam dunk to the beach where you guys came down with, um, Oh, no way. Yeah. Tyler and Simi. I don't know if you remember, we played a joke on the one kid. I told him you were Brad, Brad Stevens' brother. Yeah. <laughs> and the dude walked away I completely believing it. I do remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. No yeah, way. yeah. Yeah, dude. Share the, that's me. I'm, I'm the clock guy at slam dunk to the beach. And I think you guys had Simi. And I, I don't know how to say his last name. He tore his ACL at the tournament and you had Tyler. Yep. Simi, Simi shit too. God, he um, was fucking awesome, he, dude. He was amazing. Yeah. He, dude. he, it was really sad, but yeah, he did end up, uh, tearing, went up for a dunk, came down, landed, um, hurt his knee. Um, and, and yeah, we had a great, I mean, we had a, a really great team that year. It wasn't a great, great experience for us with the exception of, you know, the Simi's injury, but. Um, right. Yeah, and then Simi went on to play at Vanderbilt, and now he yeah. is playing in the G League, playing for the Windy City Bulls out right? of Chicago. Yeah, so you're you've been around NBA dudes, you know, you've been around like elite, elite athletes on this. Like seeing that Simi guy and just seeing the way he moved with his size was like, Jesus, is he LeBron James' brother? You know, like that. That's what it's like when you see dudes like that. How are you being around that, and now you're going to eighth graders? <laughs> Like, like, how has that transition been for you, man? Because that had to be unique. Yeah, definitely. No, it's it's um, you know, again, the the, the eighth grade stuff is it's pretty much 
just during the basketball season. So it's not like I'm doing a lot of recruiting or evaluating on the eighth grade side as much, you know, outside of that season. But on the high school stuff, the high school stuff I do is, is more so year round. Um, okay. And also working, uh, I also work for an organization called West Coast Elite, which is a uh, the biggest the largest event operator here on the West coast. Um, we run camps and tournaments and showcases and a variety of different things from the event side. And then we also have a, a club team, which is on the Under Armour circuit. So, and I've, and I've been working on with Under Armour for the past five years or so on their circuit. So all of the, all of the travel oh, wow. teams, um, in the country, there's a Nike circuit, there's an Adidas circuit, right. there's an Under Armour circuit, there's, you know, other circuits, uh, that are non-branded. So I've been working on Under Armour. So I've been around, that scene for a long time um and and having seen you know countless pros future pros um whether that's on teams that i've been around or just teams that i've watched so i've always kind of been in that environment but you know vermont academy was my first really opportunity besides you know being a manager or a grad assistant at the college level it was my first opportunity to get with these kids at a young age um mm-hmm. and so you mentioned simi but we had uh, my first year at Vermont. We had this kid by the name of Jordan Nora, who's now at Louisville. Oh, yeah, he um, just declared. Yeah, and he's a stud, and he'll he'll yeah. be an NBA player um, next year. And and you know, so getting guys like that, getting guys like Simi, um, and we had a ton of other highly ranked, highly touted players that will have long, illustrious careers playing, whether it's professionally in the United States or or in another country. So, but we had. I think in the two years that I was at Vermont Academy, I want to say we had 13 or 14 players that went division one, um, at all levels, at all, at, at every level. Um, not to mention the amount of players we had go division two. And are they pretty much, are are they enrolling in Vermont Academy with the thing like, Hey man, I'm a, I'm a decent middle school. I'm a decent high school player. And I just need a couple coaches. I need more structure to get me the most opportunity to go D one. Is, is that the mentality there or are they enrolling because their parents are like really big into business and it's just like an illustrious uh, academic school? I think, I mean, prep schools in general, they all vary for, for Vermont Academy in particular. I mean, and, and this is something that I've worked on trying to, like when I was recruiting kids to come to the prep school and also now in my role with um, what I do um, West Coast Elite and trying to help kids, you know, navigate their college decision process and, and trying to push them to explore prep schools. I, I, you know, I always broke it down and there's just three very distinct things and benefits that um, you can get out of the experience. So you have the the academic component. So um, you have kids that are going to prep schools like Vermont or other prep schools to um, improve their their grades, their GPA, um, maybe to to get some more directed support and guidance with their standardized tests, ACTs or or SATs. Because the class sizes are are, so small, they get all that kind of attention. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Really great student uh, to teacher ratios, Um, a lot of support. Most of the teachers live, I think when I was at Vermont, I I think close to 90% of the the faculty lived on campus. So you would see your teachers in the dining hall, you know, you'd see them working out, whatever it is. So, So you have a chance to get to ask those guys questions guys and girls questions um you know more and it's a it's a more conducive environment for learning for a lot of kids so the academic piece is really big so a lot of kids would come for that and and need that support then you have the the athletic component obviously which you kind of alluded to it's you know a lot of kids wanting to improve their recruitment or 
you know, work on their skill set. And as you can imagine, if you if you got six or seven or eight Division One kids every day in practice that yeah. you're going against, you're gonna your game is gonna jump leaps and bounds above, you know, if you're the best player at your local public or private school. Yeah, so, so I was gonna ask just as far as that, there's way more freedom at a prep school because the kids are pretty much living there, right? Yes. Yeah. For, yeah. for, so, for most of the prep schools for a traditional boarding school, yeah, they'll have dorms on campus. Right. So the opportunity to have access to equipment practice time and like have it structured as a private prep school, it, it's just got to be a huge advantage over like a public school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, being able to, we at Vermont, we used to do a lot of, um, 6 a.m. workouts, whether that was in the weight room or on the court. And we do some of our open gyms where college coaches would come. And we do that first thing in the morning before class. And then the guys would get breakfast, shower up and get ready for school. So, you know, like something like that, um, you know, you can't do that at your your local public or private school, um, you know, but but our kids could do that. Or later in the, the evening, you know, during study hall or, you know, in some free time after dinner before study hall started, you know, guys would come and get shots up in the gym, um, or they'd want to, Hey coach can, you know, can we get a lift in or something like that? Some conditioning. So, you know, that the access to the facilities, yeah, is, is much greater. And again, just having, you know, having your assistant coach living in the dorm with you or your head coach living down the street where, you know, you can check in with them. And that, again, for me, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, Sean, like just the, the personal, um, aspect to it where, you know, a kid can come in and, and sit on my couch and we can watch, you know, an NBA game on TV and just talk and, and, you know, very guard down, very open, um, to building, you know, those relationships, which is what really got me into doing this in the first place. Um, and that's why I really loved prep school. And I, and I really, um, I credit my time, um, at Vermont Academy, um, with coach Pope and, and all the great people that I got to know, the teachers, the administration, um, you know, that, that really shaped, my love and continued to grow my love for coaching. And and it's kind of helped me stay on this path working with, with young people. Yeah. The, uh, it it seemed legit. So running the clock, it's almost like you, part of why I do the clock was because I was infatuated with these like legit high school coaches, how they interacted, how they coached, what they said, you know, cause you just don't get to see it in Southern Delaware. We're not, we're not elite by any, I think DiVincenzo is our best product since maybe Laurent Profit as far as like high class, but it's, it's once in a blue moon generational type stuff. And seeing these dudes, I was so interested. And the Vermont kids, y'all were like professional. It was a machine, man. It was so impressive just to watch how the kids kind of just knew. They just knew what to do. Clearly they'd been taught like, man, this is how we do things. And, uh, you could see they just bought all the way in, which was why, which is why I loved about the semi dude. Like he was the stud and he acted like he had to scrap for every single second of playing time. Like he like almost felt like if he wasn't talking, communicating, pointing, sprinting back, like he might get pulled. And I was like, man, that is refreshing to see a guy who's clearly a top player, like earning it every second yep. of the play. It was, it, it yep. was awesome. Yeah, no, it's, um, it was a very, you know, we tried to run it like a college program from the promotion, from the skill development, um, scheduling, you know, all these things, because again, our, our goal as a prep school coach is to prepare those kids for what they're going to be stepping into, um, at the next level, you know, in, in, um, in college. So whether it's the organization, how we travel, um, you know, how we promote our guys, how we stay on top of their academics. I mean, all these different 
aspects to it. And, and we have a short time with a lot of these kids because a lot of them are coming in for just one year as a post-grad. Um, so they oh, are, okay. you know, we only get a short period of time with them to help gotcha. them, you know, kind of transition. So it's, um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of work and, but it, but it's great and it's amazing. And at the end of the day, we're coaching basketball and we get to do what we love. Right. Hey man. So promotional wise, and this is one of the things that I'm probably going to take to my grave. You know, I asked for one of those really sweet ass share the sugar shirts and no, no love, man, no love for the guy on the scoreboard. And I just want control in the clock. And I just want you to know when you need that extra five seconds of when that timeout officially starts, I can either start that thing early or late, man. So a t-shirt, I mean, a t-shirt really could add up to some favorable, I'm not going to say cheating, but, um, favorable lapses in judgment well that's that's good to know any anybody that's listening to to this podcast that that plans on coming down to slam dunk they no should doubt. uh make just, sure they bring a, a few extra t-shirts just for just in case for the table no doubt yeah just help just you know look out for the people who are looking out for you um and something you also that i try to do and i come across as a strange guy because again like i coach um middle school down here too so um like johnny's johnny zhang is that he just transferred to UCLA from Kentucky? Johnny Juzang, yep. Johnny Juzang. So he missed his first game with the flu, but um, their coach gave me uh, one of their shirts. And really, I just try to collect shit so that the kids who are local can now be like, oh, yo, I got this shirt and this guy was on that high school team. You know, so really, I'm just trying to like pass it forward. Like the kids love Simi, the kids love Tyler. And I was like hoping to get some gear to throw their way. So like at practice, you do a competitive whatever you call it, like the... Tyler shooting drill or something. And now the kid who wins gets a shirt from the school that, you know, they just saw a dude drop 40 and hitting threes everywhere. Like now I have his shirt, you know? So that was kind of the thought process. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Well, I mean, look, the, the, the lineup that was going through from what I can remember, I think Gonzaga was there. I think Roselle Catholic was there. Dude, that year, the year you guys were there with Simi was the best year that I remember that slammed. It was just West top Town, to bottom. West was there, Cam Reddish. Um, Mamba. Yeah. That was Bamba. And um, the kid, Jalik, he went to UNC. Now he's playing overseas. There was a uh, Jake Forrester was on that bomb. Yeah. Fucking, they had Reddish, Jake Forrester, who I think is now at Temple. Bamba, who's on Orlando. And, yep. and uh, the Felton, Raymond Felton's cousin was just, fuck- I don't know if you got to see that game, dude. He dropped like 45 on fucking oops and like half court threes, step backs. Like it was, it was insane. Yeah. The talent, the talent there. And in that time of year in general, you know, the, around the holidays time, there's some incredible tournaments going on all across the country. We got, we got a chance to play in uh, some great tournaments out here in the West coast. And, you know, when I was at Vermont, we would play in some great tournaments. I mean, all of, there's so much talent talent out there at the high school yeah. and prep school level and you're playing against guys again like I look back at some of the the games that we've played and some of the players that we played against like you're 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 seeing guys in the NBA that used to be you know against you in the prep school I remember it was the other day I was uh playing against some buddies in NBA 2k and Hamadou Diallo checked into the game and I was like I remember when that dude was at Putnam Science and he was <laughs> you know, 360 dunking on us in transition that was not our best game but <laughs> you yeah. know he stuff like that um and you know, I, I look back on the, the Hoop Hall tournament in Springfield every year around MLK weekend. And, you know, they're always having some of the top talent in, in, in the country playing in those tournaments. And it's it's an amazing experience for me as a coach, but also for our players to get to compete against, you know, future NBA stars. Oh, you mentioned sure. Tyler 
Bertram. Dude, he um, lit them up. I thought he dropped it. He was another dude just fucking coming off the screens. He was like JJ Reddick. And and the gym ate him up immediately. Like he was fearless defensively. And then the way that kid was shooting, I was like, yo, he he stud. I asked him for again, asked him for the headband so I could kick it to a kid. He was like, sorry, bro, I got one. I was like, man. <laughs> Yeah, Tyler, Tyler and his headman, man. I love Tyler. Tyler was uh was the first kid that I ever recruited to Vermont Academy. Um, oh so no that, way! Yeah, he definitely holds a really special place in my heart. He was from a small town in Cooperstown, New York. Um, his dad was his high school coach, and I knew right away. He actually uh, saw him at a couple camps over the summertime, and he was the type of kid who would always be there for the optional early morning workouts and would always be pushing himself and. You know, obviously, again, like just the way he shoots the ball, the way he carries himself, body language, all that stuff, yeah. you know, made me really want to recruit him and get to know him and, and his family. And um, so he was the first kid. So so he and I have had a really strong connection ever since then. But, you know, to go back to, to Tyler, when we played in um, in that hoop ball tournament, we played against IMG Academy. Oh, um, dude, they're fucking Jesus. Talk about a powerhouse, right? Like that's yeah. their thing. Well, and they, they had this kid, Anthony Simons, who I oh, think is on yeah. the Trailblazers. Trailblazers. Now. He was, dude, he was getting a lot of love in the preseason talking about like he was going to be the third guard. Like originally they were like, is he going to make it? And then he said, no, he's lighting people up. Yeah. He, he, so that game, Tyler outscored Anthony. I think Tyler had 31 points in that game. Um, and, Again, like the whole gym, we were, that was an incredible game. One of the best games I, I've ever been a part of. And the whole gym um, was kind of rooting for us because we made this nice comeback. And, you know, we were kind of the underdogs. Right. Um, Simi, Simi was still kind of out of it at the time um, because of the injury and stuff. So, so Tyler was taken over. And after that game, the kid went from having a couple low major offers. He started getting calls from high major schools, you know, this this dude just went toe to toe with a future NBA lottery pick yeah. or whatever. And, and yeah, yeah, he uh, was lottery and pick. So it's those, it's those types of experiences, you know, slam dunk to the beach, the hoop hall tournaments, all these amazing tournaments, the one that we played in here in LA, the Damien tournament. I mean, all these, all these events and these showcases are just incredible opportunities for our guys to get some great exposure. Yeah. To get a name. So let me ask you this. Cause this was an, um, and I don't want to seem hateful, but I think Vermont was coming back the next year and I was really, not upset, but selfishly, I was upset. Tyler had like reclassified or something and skipped his, I guess you're not skipping your senior year, but anyway, he didn't come back the next time Vermont came and I swore he was like a junior. Is that yeah, because so, you start receiving these offers from like getting the recognition and it's like, hey, I just want to take advantage of the opportunity kind of a thing? Yeah, so so essentially what happens is a lot of kids that, that go to prep school, they end up uh, repeating a year if they're doing uh, okay. it. Um, or so, so there's a couple of different routes. You can do a post-grad, which means you graduated high school, and then you go on and do an additional year. The NCA gives you uh, 12 months after you graduate before you have to, you know, kind of start your playing career at the next level. So a lot of kids will do post-grad year, but for guys like Tyler and, and count many other players in the prep school scene, they'll, they'll transition earlier. So maybe junior year or sophomore year. And so what happens is they, they come in. So what Ju what Tyler did was he did his junior year at his high school, his local high school, and then he came into Vermont and, and repeated his junior year. So gotcha. okay. if you're if you're looking at you know course load, he transitioned. He's still technically a senior, but from a recruiting and a basketball standpoint, he comes in as a junior. So you add another year um, of development. 
but what, what a lot of kids are now choosing to do is, you know, so, so they come in and they have an extra year, but if they get the offer that they're interested in and they've sort of completed all of their academic requirements, right. regardless of if they have another year to play at that prep school, they're still considered a senior. And so they can still graduate. Gotcha. And, and so that's kind of what, what he did. He decided, you know, I got the, the opportunity to go to uh, UNC Charlotte that, that he was really excited about. And so instead of, playing one more year and trying to, you know, get a different offer. He was really yeah. excited about that opportunity and decided instead of, you know, taking that extra year, I'm going to actually graduate on time um, and, and move on to go play college basketball. Well, dude, he broke the heart of every little white boy at slam dunk to the beach. And I hope that selfish decision on his part keeps him up at night. I'll, I'll make sure I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll give him a call and let him know that the, that the kids in Delaware will never forget what he did. <laughs> We've never been the same. This is why we don't have any shooters. He was the dude that came through that was going to, you know, set the trend for everybody to be a shooter in Delaware. And everyone was looking forward to him. Maybe, maybe no. he can dig dig down into his old uh, sock drawer and pull out one of those headbands. <laughs> dude, he was so pl- – I remember him checking in. He's fucking – like he's on fire and he's at the scores table just like chomping at the bit to get in. You know, and like dude's fucking drenched in sweat. Like he's running, running. Do you know what I'm – like it's exhausting himself at every moment. And at the scores table, we're like, yo, man, you're fucking killing it. Keep it up. Keep. I think it was – was he number 12 or something? I was like, keep it up, one, two, keep it up. And he, was, and he turned and he was like, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like one of, the, one of the sweetest, one of the sweetest kids you'll ever meet, dude, for sure, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, all time, one of the all time favorites, at least of mine, at a slam dunk to the beach. Um, let me ask you, and I cut you off, um, to go down slam dunk memory lane. You had said three things about a prep school, um, academics, athletics, and um, did you want to talk about the third thing, the advantage of a prep school? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the third thing is just the the kind of the social, the maturation. Um, piece of it so yeah right you know a lot of kids a lot of kids are you know growing up in their comfort zone with their parents waking them up for school making them lunch doing their laundry all that stuff and so taking an opportunity to to be at a boarding school where you're responsible for yourself um, you're expected to be mature Uh, you have to do things on your own like your laundry like you know be on time for for class and all that stuff you know manage your schedule um, and then just for a lot of kids getting that opportunity to interact with people that are from different places than they're normally used to. So, you know, we had a lot of international students and a lot of the, the boarding schools do. So, you know, getting a chance to meet somebody that grew up in a different environment than you did. Um, and and kind of similar to my experience going to the Midwest for college, it's, right. uh, you know, you get to meet people that you would have never met if you had stayed in your kind of comfort zone or your little bubble. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of kids that go off to prep school that year in the relationships that they, that they develop in that year, um, they kind of ex- explode. And it's, 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 it's not just a, a normal year at a, a school where you go to school you and then you come home at the end of the day, you're, you're with those people 24 seven for, for a year of your life. And so, you know, a lot of kids, they just need that, that extra, that extra time to, to prepare themselves for, for college, because again, college, is it's completely different than high school right and so to have that that extra year to learn about yourself and about others i think helps kids when they get to college to be able to hit the ground running and to be able to better manage those same three aspects the academic the basketball um and the social component yeah right and how much of it when they're there is the whole like business mindset brand make sure your social media is tight like that has to be a huge component of what you guys are teaching them, right? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we, again, we're, you know, our, our head coach at Vermont had, had spent time working at the college level. A lot of the prep school coaches have, you know, I had coming off an experience working both, you know, in, in, at Wisconsin and at Northeastern. So we're taking all of these experiences that we have and we know what college coaches are looking for and we're, you know, passing that, that knowledge down to them. So yeah, we're telling them, you know, make sure your social media is, is correct. Make sure you're not posting anything that, that makes you look bad, making sure that, you know, they understand that they're building their personal brand. So stuff like that um, definitely comes out, but, you know, also just making sure that you're able to monitor them academically, make sure right. you stand on top of things, you know, helping them, you know, with their development on the basketball court and in the weight room. Um, and then again, just that, that piece of, you know, when you're, when the kid is there, the parents are trusting you to kind of help develop them and to become, you know, great young adults when they get off to college. And so a lot of that is just having conversations about, you know, how do you, how do you treat people? How do you interact with, you know, your significant others, you know, whether that's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, how, you know, what's oh, pro- yeah. what's the best way to, to interact with those types of people? How do you interact with adults, you know, looking somebody Dude, in the eye, no you know, you know, making, you know, making a firm handshake when you meet somebody, how do you, you know, prepare uh, a presentation or a resume, you know, all, all these different things that we can try to do to help prepare them for life after basketball. And it starts, the earlier you can start with those guys, the better. Dude, I, so West Town out of Philadelphia, actually, yeah, that was the Mo Bamba school. So they came back to slam this year and they had, had dude had to be like six, seven, silky shooter point guard could dribble. And I can't remember his name. I believe he was a sophomore. So the kid's 15, 16 last game of the weekend. Um, Jim's shutting down. He's the last kid on the court. And do you know why he's the last kid on the court? Cause he is picking up every single drink cup that was on the floor to throw away. And the dude just had like 25 points, eight assists, 10 rebounds, like just all out game. He was the reason, you know, one of the huge reasons his team won. And I, I like, I, Fuck, I really wish I could remember the kid's name. But I went was up to that, him. Uh, was it Gaffney? Jalen Gaffney? I think he went to the UConn, maybe. I don't know if that's no, um, about. no, because okay. uh, he was a senior. But I think he played on the same team because Hurley was there. This kid was a sophomore, dude. So he's fifteen. I'm telling you, he's a young kid. He wasn't the jumper that that guy was, at least not yet. Um, but dude, like I went up to him. I'm like, I can't tell you, kid, how fucking impressive it is that you're picking up cups after the game you just had, man. I'm like, I really hope somebody else is seeing this. And he was like, thanks. Appreciate that. And I was like, but that goes to exactly what you're talking about. Cause West Ham's like one of those, I don't, are they considered a preparatory school? Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they are. Okay. Yeah. But like, who does that? Like in public school, your best player don't even want to carry the balls back onto the bus or he doesn't even want to grab the water bottles. You know, like he's like, he's the one drinking all the water and it's like, dude, can you be a leader and carry the shit that you're using? You know? And yep. it's a, it's a mindset that really does get reinforced in that, um, I shouldn't say in isolation, but I guess maybe when you're removed from your uh, home environment. Yeah, it's all it's and it's all about that culture, and so that's what you know we try to instill with our guys at the prep school level and at the high school level where I'm at now. And we actually we did something this past year, and we normally you know freshmen all carry the waters and the balls and everything like right. that, and and so we what we did at Windward, um, which I thought was pretty cool is we, we had our seniors do that and sort of make it like a rite of passage. Like we get, we get to carry the water. We get to carry the balls. Like we're going to take this responsibility because we're the seniors and we're the leaders. And, and so again, like that's just from a cultural, a little cultural thing to flip it on its head that, you know, most schools aren't doing, you know, it's, it's, you know, for us, our, it starts at the top and it trickles down 
Um, so we wanted our, our upperclassmen to kind of demonstrate what, what that responsibility is. Right. And so, you know, that, that was just one thing that we did at Windward that, um, that I thought was really cool from a cultural standpoint, but you know, that's, that's, again, that's my thing is like our, how, how are we conducting ourselves on the bench? You know, I, I always make sure that when guys get subbed out of the game, that every single player on our bench is standing up to give them a high five. Like, it's not about you. It's about, you know, showing some love for this guy who just left it all out on the floor. And, and, you know, and I think those things are important. It might, it might not, Sean, it might not get you the game winning bucket, right. Or, or it might not win you that, that championship. But I, in my opinion, I think those things are so, so crucial to the overall development of your team. Um, it's that cultural piece. How do, you know, how do you conduct yourself as when you win? How do you conduct yourself when you lose? Right. Um, you know, I think those are the things that separate teams when it comes down to it. And if it is, you know, just up the flip of a coin, I think the team that are doing things the right way tend to be the ones that come out on top. Yeah, because you, you just know how to deal with adversity. You know how to humble yourself. You know how, like, if you failed, it, it's okay if someone wants to call me a bum for me carrying these water bottles or basketballs. Like, I, I know who I am. I'm secure in who I am. I know my position on a team. I actually have a role on this team to provide these basketballs, as stupid as that sounds. Like, you can take it that far and um, just help kids to understand, like, it's on you. Like, if the game's on the line, it's on you. If we don't have our basketballs, that's on you. Like get them. It's a, it's a, it's a great mentality center for sure. Yep. Um, dude. So did you get to the West coast because you were working the AAU thing? Is that how you went all the way? Um, by coastal? Yeah. So it, um, it actually happened in two kind of two separate areas. So when I was at Vermont Academy, we had recruited, um, a kid, uh, to, to come to a post-grad year. Um, and he was from Windward. So he was a, a, an LA kid and went to Windward school. And so we had recruited him. It, it ended up not working out for him and he went, um, chose a different school to go to. But so I had started to develop a relationship with our head coach here, Coach Foff, um, through the recruitment of, of that student athlete. Um, and then, you know, a year or so later, when I was looking at kind of new job opportunities, uh, a mutual friend of both of ours had kind of connect us and said, Hey, Matt, I think, um, I think Colin is looking for an assistant if you'd be interested and it, you know, might include some middle school coaching. It might include some other things at the school, but you know, I think it would be, it would be an awesome opportunity for you. And so that was kind of on the one side with the high school stuff. And then on the, the kind of the AAU and events side of it, you know, my time working with Under Armour, uh, having worked as a court monitor for all of the Under Armour events, I got to familiarize myself with a lot of the programs and their and their coaches and their directors. And one of those people was Ryan Silver, who's been, you know, extremely instrumental for me um, since I've been out here and, you know, getting to build a relationship with him. And that same mutual connection also was close with Ryan. So again, he said, hey, I think, you know, Matt might be moving out to start working at Windward. Would love to, you know, get involved on the West Coast Elite side. Um, and it kind of worked, I wouldn't have been able to come out here if it wasn't kind of the perfect storm of opportunities happening at once. And gotcha. So that, that's kind of how it worked out. And, um, and, and it's been amazing ever since then. It's been, you know, much more than I could have ever dreamed of moving out here to the West coast. Yeah. So never been West of the Mississippi myself. Uh, are you loving it? Are you a lifer? Do you hate it? And you just want cold winters and rude people bumping into you cursing all the time? Like, um, What's how's the West Coast been treating you? Um, the West Coast has been awesome, Sean. I mean, I mean, just the basketball scene 
out here is, is incredible. It's extremely vibrant. I mean, people are playing hoops year round. Yeah, um, even when they're supposed the to be fucking quarantined, man, they're killing us. They're killing us. They're <laughs> spreading the shit. They're killing well, us. Well, they got the, a lot of the hoops. They've been taking a lot of the hoops down. I've been seeing and, and putting, you know, like metal bars or wooden blocks right. in the hoops now. So, um, but but yeah, no, pe- people play all the time. The, the, there's a really strong grassroots culture in the AAU scene and the high school scene. Um, you know, obviously there's a ton of amazing universities and colleges at every level out here and, and then professional basketball. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, I moved to LA and so does LeBron James. I mean, I just think things happen for a reason, you know, so two of the greatest <laughs> moving at the same time. Um, but no, it, in, there's in that, there's the East coaster in you. There it was yeah, finally exactly. an hour and a half in, you uh, finally came back to your roots being a sarcastic ass. Great job. <laughs> But you know, it, 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 there was just so many things that happened for me that were that were signs. You know, like I even remember when I when I flew out here a couple summers ago to interview. Um, I remember it was right when Rondo had just gotten traded to the Lakers, and I actually was at LAX walking onto a plane to get back to Boston and Rondo was coming off of the plane oh. and I saw him and I gave him like a little fist bump and I was like, bro, Rondo. And I, and, and he was like, Hey, what's up? And like, and I was like, wow. Like this, I was like, this is a sign. Like this dude right. championship Celtic, he just got off a plane and he's in LA and I'm in LA. And like, this is a sign not to mention, you know, the Patriots, winning the Super Bowl, the, the, the Red Sox beating the Dodgers in the world. It was just like, everything happened when I got out here and I was like, this is, these, these are all reasons why I'm going to stick around here for a little while longer. Um, and then, you know, the windward we've had incredible success this past year. We won a CIF Southern section division one championship, uh, made a great run in the state tournament. Um, so, you know, I've been extremely lucky to to get to be surrounded by some amazing people here already in, in, on the west coast and um you know it, it's just it's just an environment that hopefully one day when i get to you know be back on the sidelines on a college coaching staff that you know these connections and these these high school coaches these AAU coaches these players everybody that i've gotten to to interact with and to to build relationships with you know hopefully these are people that i can continue to grow you know wherever i am in the country so yeah, having right kind of my, my, my feet down on the West coast, my feet down on the East coast, um, you know, and then having some connections from my time in the Midwest, you know, I think makes me, you know, just that much more valuable to whatever staff I'm able to kind of latch onto at the next level. Um, yeah. Cause to, dude, it's gotta be huge for a head coach making a decision on a kid to actually have someone that like knows who's coached him and can get some real information and insight or can get like different opinions, right? Or like, oh man, this one this one dude I trust is telling me about this kid and I guess it would work both ways, right? Dude, I keep hearing about this kid, coach, you really want to check him out, right? Yeah, and, and I think I you know, what I've learned moving out here to the West Coast too is everything is so much more spread out. So, you know, if you're talking about in New England, if I'm if I'm talking to a college coach, hey, I want you to come, you know, come to our gym and watch us play, you know, they'll be able to to on their way up to Vermont or, you know, wherever they're going to, they can, they're going to stop through Connecticut or or Massachusetts or Rhode Island, or, you know, like you can get to so many different States in a short period of time in six hours, you can drive from LA to San Jose, you know, and you're, and you're still, you're still in the same state and you're not really that that much farther away. So it's, 
the LA scene here, it's so spread out. So a lot of time when college coaches hit me up and they say, Hey, you know, I want to come see this kid or this school, where else should I go? You know, a lot of it's honestly, it's like, well, what time of day are you going to be here? There's going to be traffic. Like you might only be able to go to two or three spots today. Um, And so it's just, just knowing the landscape too is really important. So being able to understand, you know, what schools are going to have kids that are really good students that you should recruit if you're say an Ivy league school or, you know, where are, you know, this, there might be a high school that has one star player, whereas at the prep school, you would, you would go see a kid and you might see five or six, you know, division one level kids. So it's, it's just, just learning the landscape and being able to navigate um, out here is, I think is so much more valuable so having that experience um, is going to hopefully help me down the line when, when you know, one day, I, ideally, I get a chance to come out here and start recruiting. Right. Have you, so like you're going to the Gap to get yourself a nice pair of khakis or maybe Banana Republic for some chinos and you bump into this famous person. Does that happen? Like you're waiting in line for Starbucks and all of a sudden it's, oh shit, that's blank behind me. Almost like the Rondo thing. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. It happens all the time. And um you know, it's, it's pretty humbling because, you know, I'm, I'm not used to that growing up in, in Boston. I didn't see a ton of, dude, I feel like it never happens in the East coast. Like we're happy. Um, like, uh, Patrick Ewing sat on the side, slammed onto the beach. I walked up to Patrick Ewing and shook his hand just cause I'm like, when the fuck else am I ever going to see Patrick Ewing in my life? But like it, you never just randomly bump into someone in a supermarket at uh, East coast. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, the first the first couple of times it was pretty um, eye opening for me, and then you know you start to just realize like these are just normal people, just like you and I. And don't and don't don't crush my dreams. They are not normal. <laughs> they're they're you know they're they're buying the same things at, at Trader Joe's that I am, or you know whatever it is. It's it's um it's pretty cool, but you know I I, I think again like you. I, I still, I, I know you mentioned kind of Patrick doing, like, I still find it amazing and I'm still honored and blessed anytime I'm in a gym and I see college coaches that I've always really looked up to, you know? So, right. you know, if I'm, if I'm at, you know, a, a tournament or an AAU event or something and, you know, some, some big time division one coaches there, you know, I still think of those guys as celebrities to me too. Right. So, oh dude, hundred percent. Jeff Capel came too. And I was like, God, Capel and Ewing are talking. Do I interrupt both of them? Like, how do you, yeah, what do you do, man? Are you a, I'll go up and introduce myself kind of guy? Are you like standing far away, hoping to get some eye contact and like a head nod? What are you, uh, what are you doing when you meet these people? Uh, it kind of depends on the situation that you're meeting them in. Like, obviously if, you know, if it's a, a coach coming into, uh, earlier this season, uh, Jerry Stackhouse came in, um, to oh, watch stud. a workout of ours. So, you know, I'm, I'm going up to him, not as, oh my God, it's, it's Jerry Stackhouse, but like, right. oh, it's, you know, it's the head coach of, yeah. of Vanderbilt, right? Coach so Stackhouse. It's, it's, uh, you know, so in that regard, it's more like a professional type connection, but you know, if it's somebody, if it's somebody that I, like, for example, when I first moved out here, I, I met Craig Smith, who, who used to play at Boston college, but oh, he's from yeah. LA area. And so I, you know, I went up to him and I was like, dude, Craig, like I used to watch you when I was a little kid in Connie forum at BC, like, and now you're here and I'm shaking your hand. And he was just a normal dude. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it, it was, so, you know, that, that stuff happens all the time. It happens all the time, especially in coaching. These, these people to me, I'll never, 
I'll never feel like I'm on a, on the same level as some of these big time coaches that have, you know, all these wins and have played in national tournaments. Like, you know, I, I still always look up to these guys. So right. to me, these, these guys are my celebrities. Right. And yeah, so, yeah. um, I, I always, you know, I, I want to get, make connections and build relationships to these people, but it kind of depends on, you know, where are they? Are they working? Are they, you know, at the supermarket? Are they with their family? Right. And you want to always be respectful of kind of people that are in their natural environment. Yeah, that's so true. Cause most people like you might not realize like poor Patrick Ewing, I was probably the 80th fucking hand he shook that day. I mean, that could have been the Genesis of Corona right there, dude. You're shaking Patrick <laughs> Ewing's hand and he's rolling up somewhere else. And you don't realize like how, if you got like a hundred one minute interactions a day, dude, that's an almost what, two hours of your day gone. Like it's time consuming for people who are well-known and who constantly have people coming up to them. That's something like most people don't think about. Yeah. And imagine their, imagine their phones, their phones are oh, just blowing Jesus, up dude. all day long. Dude, that's something I couldn't get over. Um, so like Jay Wright had come to watch Steven Chenzo cause he went to a uh, Villanova and, um, Ewing and Cable were watching. I believe Ewing was there for a center on Westtown. Actually, they had this six ten, six eleven kid. That was just a fucking beast in the middle. Um, physically just like Hulk. Um, I'm like, well, you came here to watch him play, but why are you on your phone the whole time? And it's like, you just can't imagine the connections and what they're trying to do, like utilizing, maximizing their time, um, making everyone feel loved, keeping those relationships. It's, um, it's gotta be exhausting. Yeah. And, and a lot of, um, a lot of coaches, you know, they'll, they'll already know, like if the kid is already committed or, you know, a lot of times, especially in the summer circuit, the coach just needs to be there they need to be seen. They need, they need the kid to see that they're on the sideline. So you'll actually see, and this is kind of this, this conversation goes around in circles and, and a lot of coaching communities, but you know, you'll see a lot of coaches that will come, come to a game and, and they won't watch a single minute of the game. They're just on their phone the whole time, right? texting or doing, you know, they, and they have a lot of stuff going on, on their plate, but you know, a lot of times coach just needs to be there be, so that they can say that they were there. And so the kid can see that they were there and yeah, you know, see. the kid, some kids, you know, they don't care about it. Some kids, it's all they care about is right. watching. So, um, but yeah, these, these guys have so much going on. I, I, I know that for every one text message they send, they probably get five to 10 more coming in and emails yeah. and calls from people. I got a player, you know, I got this, I got that. And, you know, I need this, need that. And then you talk about the, the alumni from the school and the former players that the guys code. It's just, it's, yeah. it's nonstop. The longer you're in the business. Yeah. Cause it's just a spider web of relationships that just keeps going and you just keep knowing more people. Um, for sure. Yeah. All right. So. Matt, and I can't believe you've given me almost two hours of your time, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm kicking around this idea. So the ultimate goal from my aspect is if I can get a pod that I actually get sponsored, like whether it's a gift card from a local restaurant or at some point you get so many downloads, you actually like get a sponsor. I can make some money on this thing, right? Sure. Part of being sponsored is you can get little segments sponsored. So I started thinking if you're talking to somebody, what would be maybe a cool segment? And I want to say... I'm going to try it out with you today. We'll see how this goes. So no pressure, but you are going to be the initial guinea pig. No, that's, that's the wrong word. The initial guest speaker on best first. We've saved the best first for last sponsored by abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. So, you know, a lot of times best for last. I was wondering if I ended podcasts where people shared whatever story it is, but their best first story. First car, okay. first love, first firing, first slam dunk, first whatever. First time meeting a celebrity. 
Well, you can't. Don't ask me about my first slam dunk. We already talked about that. <laughs> um, so, do you have? I mean, you have to have. What is your best first story? Best first story about coaching or just in anything, general, man. Anything? So, like mine was my, and I won't tell my the whole best first story because maybe I'll have to if I don't get a guess. But like the first time I actually, I think it was sixth grade. The first time I went all in on letting a girl know that I liked her. And like, there's this whole plot of leaving like a, um, Valentine's day is coming up and I had to like, pretend like I'm going to the bathroom while the class is in the hallway and I'm sneaking a note into her book bag. And then I'm just fucking like a wreck the whole day waiting for her to go like, check the book bag. When is she going to get the note? Then like kids start talking about it and I'm like flipping out. And then I'm getting pissed that kids are like naming names of dudes that she likes. And I'm like, why the fuck ain't my name being mentioned, man? You know, normally it's like, keep my name out your mouth. I'm like, dude, put my name in your mouth, man. Let me get on the list. Like I want her to know me. Um, so yeah, I mean like any kind of whatever first, best first story you, your mind went to when I asked. So one, one thing that has always, um, really stuck with me and and I'll never, I'll never forget this moment for the rest of my life when the last game of the season, my second year, uh, my final year at Vermont Academy, um, we, we were, we didn't have the best season um, and we were out of contention for, for the postseason. So our last game of the season was pretty much, you know, we win, we go out on top with a win and we lose, we go out with a loss. And and I never really experienced that. You know, you always kind of thought oh. like the end of the season, everybody ends on a loss unless you're the champion. Right. But this was my first experience of feeling like we, we ended up winning the game and I go back into the locker room and, you know, people are kind of like upset. They're not really excited. They're like, you know, our season's over. We, you know, we're not making the playoffs. We won, but it didn't really feel like that great. So I'm walking back in the locker room. I'm finishing, you know, tidying up the bench or whatever I'm doing. And, and, and I'm heading back in the locker room and, you know, I'm getting ready to tell everybody like, it's okay. Like, you know, it's, it's all good. Like, you know, I went out on top and, and then before I know it, everybody jumps up and they, they all have their cups of water and they're spraying and they're going crazy and they're celebrating and, um, you know, for me, it was, it, it was just a really special moment because the guys were, were having fun. They realized that the season was over, but we went out on a win. Right. Um, and, and so that gave us a lot of momentum and, and confidence heading into, you know, what would be the next season. But that was kind of the first experience that I ever had with, you know, your season ending, but it almost ending on kind of a, a nice finishing note um and that was just really special for me too because it was you know in coaching it's a very thankless job and you know people don't always show their appreciation for what you do but right for me personally that was just really special because all the guys were you know jumping on me and smacking my head and <laughs> I was drenched and covered in water but um you know it was just really special because it, it was a it was a moment a moment in time that those guys were were showing their their love and appreciation for each other and for me and, and for our coaching staff and just for kind of ending the season with a win. So that was probably the first, the first experience that I've had with that, um, you know, going out on top, I guess you could say without being kind of the champion of the season. Dude, that's yeah. hundred God that, um, it is almost like a coach just lives for that moment of like, man, just fucking let me know. I'm appreciate it. And I'll, I'll do anything for you. <laughs> you know, I like, um, that's awesome. That who'd you guys beat? Uh, we beat that game. We beat uh, Wilbraham and Munson. Wilbraham and Munson, another another uh, prep school 
out there. So I, I remember the walk back to the locker room. I remember, uh, you know, again, seeing everybody kind of down in the right. dumps a little bit, getting ready to give them a kind of a motivational thing. And then before I know it, uh, I'm, I'm keeping my, keeping my notebook under my shirt so it doesn't get soaked and, and, <laughs> and making sure I, I can still, you know, read my notes after the game. Damn. Still wanting to read your notes after the game, man. You are a legit coach. Man, I really hope um I hope you get what you want, man. You're friggin' working like crazy. You're connected like crazy. You have great experiences, great demeanor. Um, it was really honestly, dude, great uh actually getting to know you, not just talking to you for like a minute and a half at a scores table, you know? Yeah, no, I, I Sean, I really um I really, really appreciate you uh spending so much time with me uh this morning on the podcast and uh, this has been been awesome for me. I really appreciate you you reaching out initially, and it's it's funny. I had no idea that we had had that connection from uh, from Slam Dunk to the Beach prior, but I but I remember vividly, um, you know, the little kid thinking I was, you know, Chad Stevens. Brad exactly, that was it, Chad Stevens. That dude, dude, uh, I got that same kid to go up to Mo Bamba. So Mo Bamba comes out of the locker room, and I'm like, I won't say the kid's name in case he ever listens, but I'm like, yeah, 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 go up to Mo Bamba, and hand him a ball, but don't let go and just see how long you can keep Mo Bamba from taking a ball from you. Cause that would be like a drill we would do in practice. It was like, who wants a drill to like fight over a loose ball. And I remember this kid looking up to Mo Bamba and holding the ball and like Mo Bamba like goes to take it and there's resistance and Mo stops and turns left and looks at the kid and like not glares, but it's just like, you really want it. And snatches the ball and the kid walks away with the biggest like grin on his face, like Mobamba ain't take the ball from me the first time. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's the same kid that I was like, dude, this is Brad Stevens' brother. And you were like, Yeah, Chad, we talk all the time. <laughs> and you played along with it perfectly, dude. That it blew the kid's mind. He's like, Oh my God, Brad Stevens' brother. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, no, it's uh no, it's this this has been really great, Sean, and and um I think I think you, you're doing an amazing job. I love, I love kind of how you're, you're positioning this podcast and really just getting to know people. And I think, again, that's what I always come back to is, is, you know, how can we really connect as people, whether it's a coach or a, or a student athlete or a family or whatever yeah, it is. Just anybody, man, you know, community as Americans, as a globe, just you listen, right. You listen and respect people. For sure. Yeah. And, and getting a chance to tell my story, you know, I'm really appreciative and, and blessed to have been all the places that I have and, and hopefully going many more places. And, and this is definitely um, something that, that I really value and appreciate. So, so thank you so much for, for having me on. Um, and, and I can't wait to, you know, tune in now and, and start listening to some of the other people that you can get on the show and, and, uh, you know, anything I can do to help moving forward, please let me know. Oh, um, if I, if you don't mind, I'll give a quick shout out just to, to kind of my social media. So if anybody wants to kind of follow me or, or tune in for what I'm doing, um, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Twitter account is at coach Elkin, E L K I N. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter and then, um, on Instagram, it's at DJ Elkin D as in David J as in Jack Elkin one two three so dj elkin one two three um so that's what but, you do on the yeah. weekends you got a little dj to you huh <laughs> it's actually it's actually an old <laughs> nickname that's a that's a story for another podcast uh but uh but yeah so so you know i i love connecting with new people um and you know whether whether it's what i'm doing at windward school now here in la or west coast elite um you know all all of these experiences that i've had have really shaped me and, and i'm always 
open and, and more than willing to to connect with people like yourself or young coaches that are, you know, wanting to work their way up in, in the business. So, you know, I, I really encourage uh, anybody that has more questions or wants to connect. Uh, I'm always here and I'm always available. And yeah, I love, uh, you know, getting to, to interact with people in this industry and, and outside as well. Dude, that's a great point. If you're a coach looking to just like get legit, like for instance, me, and I'm not looking to, but like if I wanted to get from being a little Southern Delaware middle school basketball coach and try to put in some time, you you almost said, you said it the way you got your grad um, position. It's like, dude, just email, just text, just DM people. And you seem like a great guy to just be, Hey man, I'm in this area looking to try to up my coaching game. Any suggestions? Like you seem like the perfect guy that people should hit up for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know, I know LA is a hotspot and a lot of people come and go through Los Angeles at different times of the year. So I'm here and, and I love grabbing coffee or, you know, talking hoops or, you know, whatever it is. I think your, your network is, is extremely valuable. And, um, you know, I know there's a lot of young coaches that are in doing similar things that I've done or wanting to do similar things that I've done. Um, and so, you know, I think just having more resources and, and more outlets to, to talk about that stuff is, is so important and so valuable for your career and your development. So I'm always here and, looking to get new ideas and looking to share ideas that I already have. So um, I, I really welcome anybody that wants to reach out and uh, can't, can't thank you enough for having me on today, Sean. Dude, I thank you for your time, Matt or coach. Oh, I guess it'd be, yeah, it is just Matt in your current position. <laughs> so yeah, Matt, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. You got it. Appreciate you, Sean. Thanks. All right. Bye. Take care. And I've now become an expert on the subject. I want to thank Matt, coach, for taking the time out of his day to let us get to know him. Uh, really appreciate you being the first guest to help me figure out the best first for last segment. Um, I re-listened to the intro and I just didn't fucking set that thing up right at all. Uh, I feel like I gotten better though. Um, as a technical thing, I know I had said on the pod that Matt was the first guest to have it, though there have been two pods posted where there has been a best first for last. Um, I didn't want to put too many basketball pods too close together. I wanted to space them out a little bit. Um, since I had Luke, shout out Luke, um, I was holding back on Matt's. Thanks to fans for always delivering the breeze we need. And again, follow, friends, subscribe, rate, and review the pod wherever it is you got it. Later.